Number one, Star Wars. Number two, comics. Number three, Lord of the Rings and the Hobbit. Number four, Mario. Number five, Weird Al. Number six, Batman. Number seven, Cal. Number eight, The Simpsons. Number nine, TV. Number ten, every single band that I stole all their MP3s. But they really all sold out. Feel all together. You with me now. Hey everybody, welcome back to Nerds Ruin Everything. I'm Logan. And I'm Adam. And as you can tell, I'm still a little, uh, I'm not under the weather. I'm just, my voice is, is not fully recovered for some reason or another. Like, still dealing with, uh, well basically I got a sinus infection from having COVID. So, <clears throat> now I get to deal with all of those things. So, uh, COVID sucks, y'all. Yeah, it really um, does. It really does, and especially in the middle of summer. Um, uh, yeah. Um, not fun things. Uh, like last night, my wife went to, there was a big snafu. I think I told, I think I told Logan, um, there was a big snafu. My wife was supposed to go see Beyonce on Saturday night with her best friend. And she bought tickets. We bought tickets at the last minute for her and her friend. Um, and uh, because we had uh, we had a little windfall of money that's helped us out, thank God. Uh, I won't get into details, but needless to say, we we got some extra money. Um, and we just she decided that she was going to treat herself, which fine. I like I believe that. Uh, my wife doesn't ask for anything, um, and she wanted to go to Beyonce. I was like, go to Beyonce. So she thought she was going Saturday. Turns out she bought tickets. The reason why the ch- tickets were cheaper than she had initially thought that they were going to be because she kept on looking um was because they were on fucking friday night and if friday night on a holiday weekend at sofi stadium which is downtown la which to give you an idea of where i am as opposed to where sofi is it's about 30 miles away but 30 miles in la is like 100 miles of bad road right yeah and so she got to the, the concert supposedly started at seven. Luckily it didn't start until like eight o'clock. She didn't get in. She didn't get to so far. It was so bad. Uh, like the chaos was so bad that it, it like it took her, it took her till eight o'clock from five. It took her three hours to get to so to step foot on the And luckily enough, she, oh, she didn't miss any songs because she could hear them and she got into the concert. But needless to say, this is the COVID lottery because it's at SoFi. Yes, it's an open air stadium, but I mean, it was literally packed, packed. I mean, I saw the videos. It was literally like in the entirety of LA, like when, when Swift, Taylor Swift came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, it's wild, dude. It was wild to see all these people. And I'm just thinking to myself, my wife is going to get COVID. And I might get COVID now because my wife got COVID. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, let's see how this rolls because, you know, um the summer season is coming to a close and everybody decides to the want to like go out and do the thing so we're gonna find out we fucked around we're gonna find out hopefully we won't <laughs> but if we do i will probably be sounding like logan in a couple of in uh, next week's episode um well, the good so, news yeah. is if it's this new variant like the the only positive thing i can say is that mm-hmm. In three days, I was fine. Like that's what people are saying. It, it lays very, out. very fast, but it it hit so quick. Like 
before I, you know, I've had COVID three or four times, even yeah. though I've been vaccinated and, you yeah. know, but I, I'm also not really careful. So, which is dumb, but, uh, every other time it's been like, do I have COVID? I might have COVID. And it's like, Oh, I think I have COVID. And that's a matter that's over a span of like three or four days. This was like, um, I get to work and like my, my throat feels a little scratchy. God, I hope like a few people were out and tested positive. I hope I don't have COVID an hour later. Do I have COVID? Two hours later, shit, I have COVID. Like a hundred percent have COVID. Like, and by the end of that night, it was like, I can't move. My whole body hurts. <laughs> Oh shit! I mean, it was so fast. So. Oh man. Oh man. Oh, that's not like you see. That's good, but not good, right? Like, yeah. uh, um, and I, but at the same time, it's like, oh, man, I don't want to go through that. I remember the first time I had COVID. I, you remember, like last year, we were, we were. Like this time last year was when I got COVID for the first time and man, that sucked. And then to get it a second time, literally within two weeks of itself and to have like literally the same, the same kind of like have to go through the same kind of bullshit madness. Like I'm like, after that, I was like, no, I don't want to deal with this. And that was with being fully vaccinated. I'm still fully vaccinated. I'm one, I'm one, I'm one upgrade. <coughs> time. Um, um, somebody at work. Like, was vaccinated had has gotten every booster like to, oh, and shit. still got overloading yeah. yeah well it's like this new variant like and they were talking about it like i was re i was reading something uh, in the new york times about upcoming flu season uh and they're, they're like you know we need to change this to upcoming covid season because that's what it is like yeah. it's no longer the flu like we might as it's, well just call it yeah it, it, it's it's the covid like that's what you're gonna catch. No more are we gonna catch the flu because it's not. There's no gonna be. In, there's gonna be incontestable differences between them, right? So, yeah. like, is it flu? I mean, it, it did. COVID? It felt very flu-like. Yeah, so. but it just laid you the fuck out in yeah, a way that three, flu for doesn't. three days. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I was just like, man, I don't know how I podcasted that Saturday because, like, thinking back on it now, like. Yeah, like, because I recorded with you, and, oh. like, I, I just woke up, so I guess I had a little bit of energy. Yeah. We recorded. I went immediately right back to bed, and then I recorded later that at, that evening with Jacob and Elizabeth, and then immediately went back to bed. <laughs> I was like, Maybe how that's was I even had. awake for that? <laughs> I had the power. The, uh, uh, what is uh what do they say uh the force uh the force is strong the force is in me yeah. <laughs> i mean that literally you were talking star wars for like what four hours so you know the power of the force compelled you man oh <laughs> uh, shit um so but yeah uh, like like pre-covid talk uh, followed by uh, followed by adam and logan's famous like you know football podcast post uh, epilogue um, what are we talking today? Uh, as it's our, you know, funnily enough, it's like, you know, we're not making a big deal about it, but, uh, it's episode 50. Like I noticed it on the, the thing when I was promoting our last episode, uh, where we were talking to Soka 
and it was like episode 50 like damn dude i mean i didn't realize yeah. I, I hadn't realized that we've been podcasting that long um you know but then i realized damn we've been podcasting that long haven't we yeah, it's been almost a year because we've yeah. missed a week here or there, so it's probably actually been right at a year. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, it's been. I I can't believe it's been. It. Some sometimes it's like it feels like it's been longer than a year, but not in a bad way. Yeah. Just in a we've always been doing this kind of way. <laughs> exactly. Like we got into a format and a in a rhythm very quickly. Um. But I mean, you know. As people have found out, we kind of have we have very similar tastes and ebbs and flows. We we may be we may be on like we're almost like two sides of the same coin, one yeah. west coast, one east coast, and like you know, so like us falling into a rhythm. I mean, like we did with our our long forgotten but our long lost but never forgotten Batman sixty six podcast. I mean, I, you know. I, I, I was going through an old laptop and uh, I I have I now have all the old episodes back. <laughs> oh shit! Well, we should just drop it on the couch <laughs> whenever we go. <laughs> an occasional episode. Yeah. Oh man. Oh man. That may that gives me feels like I want to finish that because that feels like unfinished business to me. Yeah. Especially I, because I there's agree. A, One day. <laughs> yeah, because there's finite there's a finite number of episodes, right? Mm-hmm. Like we know what the goal is. We are we. I mean, we made it through a season. I mean, yeah. we made it through a season plus, um, you know, which is crazy. Um, like to think that, and we were doing two episodes at a time because yeah. they they were they were double episodes. They were always double, like one on the back end and stuff. So, but yeah, yeah. at some point, like I, I've got a, uh, I know I have to like set up a new feed because the old feed's dead because it was through film yeah. dispenser and. Yeah, I, I I think we'll get there one day. So yeah, <laughs> a year years and years later. But I mean, we will. I I know just because I know how we work. Like you know, we're we're on this right, and we have other things that we're doing, and it's not like it's a bad thing or anything. Or we're not like you know, I I love our podcast. Um, but adding another one, like I don't know how you podcast as much as you do and still write. Like that's the amazing thing to me. Um, well, I mean, that's why the writing stopped for a while because I was writing while I was working from home because I would just take a few minutes here or there. You know, I would think yeah. about things and then, oh, I'll just hit my laptop real quick and write mm-hmm. a few sentences. And um, but but being back in office, you know, they it's impossible. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I've had struggled to carve out the time to write any, um, and I've just had to. Uh, like, uh, I sent you the, the crow piece. Like I, I had yes. to like strap myself in and be like, okay, like you gotta do this, man. So, and I, I'm, the plan is to watch man on fire at some point, uh, in the next few days and, uh, uh, then do basically do the same thing. Like, uh-huh. especially on my, cause I have every other weekend, I have a long weekend, on my long yeah. weekend just to be like okay well like the that so i, I get off at six in the morning so mm-hmm. i'll go to sleep and i'll wake up usually that first day quote off work is kind of a waste mm-hmm. like i wake up i i eat i clean the house do laundry like all of those things to catch up on the week that i can't do since i don't work from home anymore 
Um, yeah, the adult thing, so, basically. Yeah, and then by by since I slept during the day, I'm not really like I can take a Benadryl or something and make myself go to bed, but I'll only sleep mm-hmm. a few hours. So I don't have anything to do like by 11 o'clock at night. So I'm like, what you're going to do is strap yourself down to a chair and you're going to write like, and you're just going to keep writing. So like, even if it's not good, you can go back in and edit it later. Like you just got to get to a point where you're like, okay, this is something I can work with something, you know, malleable, um, rather than just being like, you know, just pushing it off and pushing it off and push. And then it's Monday. And then it's like, well, I didn't write anything all weekend. Um, so, and then that gives me, you know, once I've got it down, uh, well, I've done it once so far, once I've got it written down, then that gives me like, okay, I have something I can at least like try to turn into something else, you know, something Mm -hmm. readable. So, um, it's been difficult being back in the office so yeah i could not imagine dude like i can only imagine that it's been because i mean you know we used to occasionally a chat but like like you know i know that it's 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 different when you're in office like i just know like it, it is a very different thing um when you're having to deal with like going from that life to another life which is like actually not at your house in an office around people when all you can think about is just the thing that you're not like the time is not being used effectively. Yeah. Um, you know, and that's the way that I always feel like with people that aren't working from home, like the office people, like I always see like people always send me like those work from home TikTok things. And, and it's true. Like it's very true. Like I'm much more efficient at home because I don't have people trying to pull me into bullshit. Like I'm literally programming and that's my job, right? My primary purpose is to code and SQL and program in SQL. So like me working from home is the best thing because the only things that maybe possibly might distract me from doing my fucking job is my dogs. And even then my dogs don't disturb me. They, they understand as soon as they see my, 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 as soon as they hear the keyboard, they know like, uh, (laughs) <laughs> yeah oh this motherfucker ain't gonna like oh, we could we, we could lick at him we could bark at him he ain't gonna do anything because he's got his headphones in um and he's doing the tippity clack the clackety clack because i have a very soundy like i like yeah i'm one of those guys that like that i'm very satisfied with my my clickety clack i mean you can like watch i don't know if you can hear it but i have right, a, yeah. i have a very i have a mechanical keyboard basically and i, I love i that. used to work with a dude who had a keyboard specifically that sounded like an old typewriter and oh man <laughs> it was great but like in office like mm-hmm. man like you know you're gonna bother people i don't care yeah. like yeah it's really loud though <laughs> yeah it's like bro you need to stop that like i would never have it in office like i would I, like my all of my keyboards in my office were silent keyboards but I find the clickety clack and the actual depression of the keys so yeah. satisfying. And I code so much, dude. Like you guys have no idea how much I code. Like I code like anywhere between probably two thousand to three thousand lines a week for for my job. So like I'm constantly evolving, and that's including editing, QCing, all that other crap. Um, but 
Like, I don't know what it is, the ASMR of it all, like uh, whatever they call it. it. It's very satisfying to me. Yeah. Uh, so, like, I've become in my old age or older age in my mid 40s, I've become a dude that loves mechanical keyboards. So I have, I have, I have two, but I also have another one on the way. Um, and they all have different um, key, uh, they all have different uh, key depressors and stuff like that. So they all have different, um, like, like some are shallow, like like the early morning. Like I know this sounds really weird, and I'm getting into a very weird kind of thing, esoteric thing. But in the morning, it's a deep, it's a very shallow, soft key. Um, but in the afternoon, as I like, you know, as I start getting more excited about things, and I wake up a little bit more, um, the key depression goes deeper because I'm I'm hitting the hard, the keys harder, so I switch over to a different keyboard. And just do it. I know it sounds like you guys are probably like, who gives a shit about his keyboards and his typing? What the fuck are we talking about today? But it's all to say um, anything to get you through work, right? Um, And also. (laughs) When it comes to working, it's just like, yeah, like everything has to be just right. Mm -hmm. Or I'm just, I'm, I'm off. You know, yeah. it's it's no, one of those things where like if there were like an emergency and all I have was my laptop and not my full computer setup and they're like, we need you to log on and work, you know, X, Y, Z. I'm like, yeah. oh, OK, like I can do that. But like if it's me sitting down working my shift, like, no, I've got to have my monitor set up right. My keyboard no. has to be right. My mouse has got to be right. like everything's got to be right. Otherwise, I'm going to be off all night, man. Like. Yeah. You know, that's just the way it is. So, um, (laughs) so yeah, I I feel that. Yeah, no, and it's, I mean, I think that everybody has their, their sort of, their work, their their work things, like, you know, their, their little, their little, like, practices and rituals that we have to get, to get ready for work and stuff. I mean, shit, I have it for the podcast. Like, there are certain things that you do. To get ready for the podcast to make sure to ensure that you have everything prepped and ready and set like you know open i have to make sure that i have things open i don't like imdb i like wikipedia better because it's just the way that it scrolls is more nice to me yeah and there's not all these little things everywhere Ad pop-ups. exactly yeah, yeah. It just, and, ugh, irritates yeah. me exactly exactly and um you know, it's just, it's one of those things where it's just like, I don't like, I like everything in dark mode because I don't like, because I, like Logan, you know, as a guy who wears glasses, even with computer lenses, yeah. like prescription computer, computer lenses, white is way too bright consistently. And I just bought a pair of migraine glasses because I, I suffer from migraines and a lot of it happens to do because I'm working 12, 13 hour days sometimes programming. Um, yeah, it doesn't matter at that screen. <laughs> screen. Yep. It doesn't matter that Apple and LG, both of the, like my dual monitors are LGs and they're all specifically designed to be, um, like blue light efficient. Right. It doesn't matter. Like my, my, my Apple, my Apple laptop that I, uh, that I work off of sometimes it doesn't matter that it, it's, it's got that stuff. Eventually I end up getting a migraine. Um, so I have like migraine glasses coming to prescription migraine glasses coming to me, the pink ones, you know, the pink, the pink lens that they're talking about. I'm going to try that out. Um, but it's like, there's rituals, right. To get ready, to ensure that you're, that 
it's like, and people don't think about that. And that's the funniest thing to me is that nobody ever thinks about these things when they're doing them, but you know, everybody does them. And how a simple shift from working, like what, what CEOs and executives and middle management, because they, they need people around to be pawns to like show that they're actually justified in their work and being there because a middle manager doesn't do anything when you do a work from home scenario, right? But what they don't understand is when you shift somebody like that, that what they consider as a small shift is actually a huge dynamic shift for somebody that has to like readjust themselves to other rituals. And yeah. that sucks. It just, it's shitty. It's it, it, like, it can, it, it takes people so fucking long to, to adjust from that. And especially people that have kids, like that's even worse because then you're shifting that whole dynamic too. And it's like, man, y'all should just be able to work from home. Like, that's yeah. my thing. It's like, I think it, like if it's office settings, you know, well, I, like I, I'm, I'm getting, so being forced to stay at home for a couple of days while I had COVID. Um, yeah. and it, I, it's like, <laughs> I, I'm of two minds about it now because like, yeah. well, it was it, even though I couldn't do much cause I had COVID. Um, it, our whole office had it. So my boss was just like, if you can work, I really need you to work. I was like, yeah, I mean, I can log on and answer phone calls, but like, I'm just telling you, you're getting like 30% energy. He's like, I don't care, man. He's like, I, I've got several people who say they, they can't even get out of bed. And uh, he was like, I, I just, I hate to ask. I was like, eh. you know, I mean, I'm not a company guy, but I am a like, I understand the plight of my coworkers guy. <laughs> So, yeah, no, I'm just like, yeah, yeah, I, I, you know, I don't mind. I was like, I, I've got a min, minimal setup here. Um, I said, I've got monitors I can pull out and, uh, you know, so, uh, I forgot I was going with, oh, being here alone. Like yeah. it was not great. <laughs> like <laughs> it's so quiet in, in my house at night. Um, and like, I could watch TV, but I don't have the setup that I had when I lived in Columbus. So yeah. the way I can watch TV is not quite as comfortable. It's more just like it's on in the background. So I can't really mm. watch anything. Um, although I did get to watch a couple of Braves games and that was nice. Also, hope you're not a Dodgers fan. Um, <laughs> um I kind of am. And it is like, I, we already know, like I were, I actually talked to friend of the show, Scott, who's, the best film writer that should be a, a baseball journalist <laughs> yeah, uh, or, or music journalist. Um, he missed his calling. We were talking about it because we were actually talking about the game last night. Like they were just fucking dismantled. Like the Braves with Acuna Jr. are just a force to be reckoned with this year that I feel like, like, is it already, unless they, unless they peaked when, which was the problem so last year. I'm so yeah. worried. Like, like but every time I think, oh shit, they peaked. Then like two games later, I'm like, oh shit, no, they they still got it. Like, what is going on? Yeah. <laughs> They're literally, it's literally unreal how these guys are playing. Like, like uh, your guy, your your number eight hitter is like just like he's the best number eight hitter of all time. Like it literally, he's hitting like what two ninety or in the tune in the, the either the two eighties or the two nineties, and for an eight spot batter 
I mean, ninth is usually reserved for pitchers. Like, yeah. we, we know this, right? And this eighth guy is hitting 280. How the fuck do you hit 280 in the number eight spot? But you can't move him because your lineup is so deadly and you don't want to mix, change the chemistry. I don't know, man. It really does feel like as long as they're not peaking at this, like, they're they're not having what they did last year, yeah. which is they peaked too soon, right? If this is the beginning of the peak, then they could make it to the final game and win everything. And we all they know could... playoff ball is it's you know Way it's a different, different kind of ball. Yep. But uh, but yeah. Um, so yeah, that that that's been kind of nice. Um, it, anyway, <laughs> we we've gone down a rabbit hole. I did I did want to say about it being a year since we started. Yes. The thing that I'm most surprised by, and I probably shouldn't be, but really, I. Yeah, I'm most surprised that one year later we're still talking about David fucking Zaslov. Like, <laughs> yes, we are. We started yes, we are. with like this motherfucker <laughs> and his dumbass decisions, and here yes. we are one year later with writers on strike, actors on strike, everything shutting down, things being moved, things being pulled off the slate completely. Like, yeah. He started this whole not, not not that companies might not have gotten around to it to eventually, but it mm-hmm. started with HBO yanking stuff surreptitiously just off the server with no kind of any warning, you know. Oh. And here we are a year later, and I mean Disney is there's things that are completed that they're not even going to show now. Uh, what, the Spiderwick Chronicles, yeah, like the, it, it, it's a full season of a show so, that's just not not gonna not gonna be aired. Yep, um, the the Nemo show, the Nautilus show, um, yeah, which I was super excited about and um, had to be expensive. <laughs> they're saying close to two hundred million dollars for ten episodes. Um, like that is unreal to me. Like literally think about that. $200 million. That means that each episode was $20 million a piece. And to give you guys an idea of what $20 million can buy you in certain sectors, uh, $20 million in the film sector in indie world gets you everything everywhere and out and all at once. That, that movie cost $20 million, $18.5 million was the physical production, but doesn't include ad ads and all of that other stuff. But, I mean, think about that. One episode of this movie, or this TV show, cost the equivalent of what everything, everywhere, and all at once cost. Just yeah. think about that. It Like, two of them cost uh, are the amount of the first two John Wick budgets. Like, 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 $40 million and then $45 million are what the budgets were for John Wick 1 and 2. That's two episodes of this uh, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea. With that the nobody's going to see. Yeah, yeah, that's no one's going to see. They're going to write that shit off, Bob Iger. Bob, the best Bob? I don't think so, motherfucker. Yeah, like it's like your, competing who comments. is the biggest piece of shit. <laughs> yeah, like salary-wise, we know it's Zazzy because half a billion, like half a uh, half a billion dollars was your salary for doing what, bro? For doing yeah. what? To get booed at Boston College because you fucking showed up? Yeah, nah. that was great. Yeah, that was great. 
Um, well, I love, okay, so a positive news, on the positive side of things, um, AMC decided to, to agree to the terms that the writers and actors, and they're getting, they're getting, like, that's my favorite part, is that AMC, the people that, like, and here's the weird thing, is I don't know how that works, because AMC is, is not its own entity, from what I understand. Yeah. From what I understand, they are a, subs, a subset of Warner Brothers. Um, at least that's what I that's what I remembered being told because AMC is a subset of Turner, which was all under the umbrella of yes, yeah, Warner Wars. Brothers, Warner Brothers, Warner Discovery. So if they're uh, their own entity, that's kind of brilliant. Like they're just a an umbrella thing. Um, but they get to like they get to go back into production with everything, like and like Walking Dead. Like yeah. their Walking Dead franchises get to get back up and running. I mean, I I read um, uh, what's his name, um, the two FX guys that run the uh, Greg Nicotero and um, KMB guy. Um, I don't know, yeah. I can't remember what I his can't name remember is. His name. But yeah, but they both they both posted and were were effusive with the praise of AMC, like like basically letting them get back to work and letting people like basically truly understanding like these people understood what it meant they lost and now they're just conceding to the laws so that they can pick up where they left off because whether you guys realize it or not whether we like it or not that walking dead franchise in all of its forms and all of its iteration is the primary bloodline for money for them like yeah. you know not having norman reedus to promote the, his walking dead shows like the two of them the one where the reality show and then the Daryl Dixon Chronicles, which I'm surprised they didn't just make that earlier. Like, why didn't they make that? I mean, everybody seems I to love Daryl Dixon. I mean, just give him his own show where he's on his Harley driving all around being morose about Michael Rooker's character, um, his brother, you know, like, and just like, let him have it. I mean, like, oh, a weird side note. Um, you know Jeff Nichols, right? Like, you know, the, the filmmaker yeah. Jeff Nichols. But I mean, you probably love him like I do. Um, it's weird because like we're talking Daryl Dixon and like Norman Reedus and we all know Norman Reedus is like obsession with bike uh, with with Harleys and stuff. Did you know that they made a movie with him? Like like there's a Jeff Nichols made a, a biker movie with him, Austin Butler, um, and um, it's called The Bike Riders. Michael Shannon, like uh, Jody Comer. Um, what the and heck? it's a it, yeah it's a, it's called the bike riders it's it's from 20th century fox they're starting to promote it um it's literally like i i don't i've heard it's a black and white movie that like he got a bunch of money to shoot and like i looked at this and i was like holy shit like you just literally got the harley davidson cast that every harley davidson person would want to be in this cast right yeah. like you got elvis you got Venom, you got Michael Shannon, and you've got Daryl Dixon. Like, even if Norman Reedus isn't called Daryl Dixon, you know that there's going to be people that when this movie opens, they're just going to walk up and go, give me the Daryl Dixon movie. I want to see the Daryl Dixon movie. And it's like, what? And then they'll have to, like, you know, because, like, I used to work in a movie theater. And whenever people, like, it was never like, I want a movie, I want... I want a ticket to Ocean's 13. It was, I want a ticket to the Brad Pitt, George Clooney movie. Okay, you want Ocean's 13. Okay, I'm not going to correct you. I'm just going to give you the ticket and then go. Uh, but yeah, dude, 
like I just found out about this. Uh, I think it's premiering at a, at, a, um, at a festival. And I'm just like, are you fucking kidding me? This movie's gonna, like, this movie sounds badass, but also it's like Norman Reedus the story. Like, that's like, like, if you ever want Norman Reedus to be in a movie, you just have to pay him, but you also have to have Harleys in it. Yes. And as long as you have those two things, you will get Norman Reedus, right? Like, if there's ever a dude that's ever had a brand, like, I'm surprised he's not the Harley spokesman. He might be. I, I mean, I'm not I'm not big into the Harley Davidson world, um, um, unlike many of uh, my fellow mid-40s people, um, you know. Uh, Boyd Holbrook is in this motherfucking movie. Like, there's a whole bunch of people in this movie. Um, and I'm very excited about it now that I know that Jeff Nich- uh, Jeff Nichols is actually working on something, um, you know, substantive and not, like, in, like, Phil Anchor Hell, like a lot of these, like, indie guys are. Uh, but, yeah, no, I mean, like, I'm very happy for AMC that they finally buckled and they saw the light. Um, and they're moving forward. Um, but it just seems like the other big studios are not going to, like it, it's it's wild right like weird like thing after hurdle after hurdle and like we always used to make fun of like we could call this uh, the david zaslav ca- uh, cast and like literally this fo- this fool has like in the year plus that we've been doing this ma- continues to be in in the news cue cue the the curb your enthusiasm thing yeah. because that's how stupid he is I mean, it, and I'm pretty sure at some point we were just like, you know, this is the dumbest decision he's made. And maybe he listens to the podcast. Maybe he's like the one person that listens. And he's like, oh, no, that, you know, I, I can do better. Like, I'm going to do something else. like because every yeah. other week it has seemed like this guy has done something to top his own stupidity. Like it's but yeah, I, I was thinking about that this week. Uh after we texted, I was like, what did we talk about on that first episode? I was like, fucking David Zaslav. We're still talking about this I about him. Yes, <laughs> we are still talking about him. Like And his like, dumb decisions. <laughs> huh. There are certain there are certain things that we will consistently talk about. <laughs> Nerds ruin everything. Um, this, the stupidity of the Snyderverse. Uh, DCEU not having their... Their cranial rectal removal surgery yet, um, and the follies of David Zaslav and continuing struggles of Warner Brothers Discovery. I mean, those are certains here. Yeah. It may not happen all three of them, but there will be one of them that be brought up, um, which is wild. Like you know, fifty, fifty issue, or like you know, fifty podcasts in, and we're still talking about this dude that it it that just. Man, like I didn't think that that somebody could be so misinformed and so so wildly inappropriate with his decisions as the head of a studio. But man, he's yeah. making a case. Like they're gonna write a book about this guy during the Warner Brothers Discovery years, especially if he does what I like. What I fear, which is, is that he's going to kill Warner Brothers and Warner Brothers is going to go under. Like, yeah. like literally it's going to like he's like, going to do the, the most storied movie studio. And, yeah. and you're, you're just going to sink it. Yeah. Like during its hundredth year anniversary, like like that's to me the wildest thing is that Warner Brothers this year turns 100 the same mm-hmm. uh, the same time that Disney. Right. 
And both of them are having massive problems. And this is how you show, this is how you show Jack Warner, you're like, like what, and, and you know what? And it's not to say Jack Warner and Walt Disney weren't sons of bitches and probably would do the same goddamn thing because as much as we love Uncle Walt, he was kind of an anti-Semite from what I understand. And we just don't talk about that. Um, and then Jack Warner, I mean, of course, you know, um, I mean, there are, all you have to do is look up stories about Jack Warner. But anywho, um, these these studios have lasted a hundred years, a century. And the way that these the way that that the best Bob and and Zazzy are handling these studios, I I don't even think they can make five years because you keep on doing stupid shit like this. And you're just all you're doing is just crumbling an empire that that took a hundred years to build. Like I feel like both of them feel like they're the reasons why their companies are the way they are. And I'm like, no, no. There were people before you and all of them contributed to it, right? Like it wasn't just you, it was literally millions of other people through through the hundred years that built this brick by brick. And you thinking that you have that you built this yourself and you control this is such arrogance. It's such, it, it's like, it's pure, it, it's pure, like, like an unadulterated ego. Like I, like, I mean, so much so we're seeing it right now. AMC settled. Why aren't the other studios settling? It's time, right? Like it's done. You moved Dune. You made a, like, like moving Dune from like, we didn't really talk about this, but like moving Dune from, November to March, four months, literally is costing the studio a hundred million dollars in advertising. Yeah, I mean were- everything <laughs> had like I know they didn't have people out there promoting it, obviously, but like every bit of marketing material out there already had the date on it. That there oh. was a like a massive Empire magazine article. Mm-hmm. I mean, just so much. Yep. And I foresee because, okay, so Dune was produced, like physical production was produced by Legendary, right? So, like, they they took the budget. Warner Brothers is releasing it. They're partners. They're handling most of the, the PR ads. Dannyville News has already said that he wants to make a third Dune. I guarantee you, because he's, I guarantee you, in the next three to five years, or like the next three years during this production, it will Warner Brothers will lose Dune to to Universal because he's buddies with Nolan, and I can only imagine this crap. Like this is the second time it's happened at Warner Brothers with the same franchise for him. Could you imagine being Dennyville New, working your ass off on this uh, and partnering? Because part of a director's handshake of this is you're saying. Okay, you're giving me $250 million. I'm going to deliver the best movie possible. Let's go ahead and partner together so that we can make the best movie with the biggest box office that we can. You just screwed that. So you're basically giving him another failure. I don't care what happens in March. It's done. Like you sealed, like to me, you signed, sealed, and delivered Dune's like less sub $100 million box office. By putting it in March. Because, yeah. like, what well, we were all hyped for it. Now you're not going to get it. And now the regular average Joes are going to be like, where did dude go? What do you mean dude? It's called dude, right? No, Dune. 
Yeah, what happened to Dune with like that little Leo DiCaprio brown haired dude and Elvis? It's not till next year. Oh, okay, whatever. And like the hype is just deflated, right? Yeah. I don't know. There will be people who will be like, I thought that already came out. Like, you yeah. know, it is. Isn't it on HBO Max? Yeah, <laughs> it, it's so disheartening, man. Mm-hmm. It really is. But also, you know, it just means that, like I said, like, like Warner Brothers loss is probably going to be Universal's game because like, like it's like if it's obvious to just like movie heads, because we all have seen the interviews with Denny Villeneuve and 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 Nolan and how like and they've said that they're friends They're They've talked to each other and stuff. And so, you know, like, no, I can only imagine Nolan during Tenet saying, Denny, I don't know what you're going to do, bro. But Dune probably is going to have the same thing. And then it happens to him, right? And he goes, no, 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 no. It was COVID, right? I'm going to make Dune 2. And, and then no one's like, okay, well, I'm going to Warner Brothers. Or I'm going to Universal. Yep. Makes makes Oppenheimer. Oppie, like, makes close to $400 million. Probably going to sweep the Oscars. And, like, he goes to his buddy Denny. And he, like, and Denny's like, it happened to me. The sons of bitches again. They got me. They again, got yeah. me. And it's like, again. And, and, then, and then Nolan... Nolan can only probably just smile and eat his Doritos going, told you, told you, you should come to war. You should come to universal. They'll give you everything. Why don't you talk to legendary, get them. I mean, and that's the sad part is that universal already has a deal with legendary, like the doom movies were the last thing that they were doing. So at any point, like, and they were only two movies. And now Denny Villeneuve is talking about a third movie. He doesn't, there's no contracts for a third movie. For any of these people. So, like, I think that Warner Brothers really screwed themselves, especially if there's a third movie. Like, especially if if this is, like, if this is a big hit. I, I mean, and even then, it's like, it's not the movie. It's being in the Denny Villeneuve business, right? Because, like, if you're talking about a guy who can succeed at making a big budget movie and make it critically acclaimed and get any number of actors attached to it and it's not a it's not a marvel movie like that's power in this day and age like that is like being your own entity is a powerhouse thing right and if you have one less filmmaker like that what do you have as warner brothers if you're losing filmmakers like that right and left martin scorsese hasn't worked with you in in like 10 years after he worked with you and gave you some of your biggest hits and your biggest Oscar award winners, like where, like, what is that saying about this, this like movie house that you are supposed to maintain? Um, yeah, it's really worrisome. Like to me, that's really worrisome because even the bigger, like even the small, like, like Paramount gets it right. Like, you, like at the end of the day, when they sign, they kind of understand talent management. You keep your big superstars happy and your big directors happy. Taylor Sheridan is happy there. Because guess what? He's making Yellowstone things, right? Yeah. Um, uh, what's his name? Um, oh, God, I can't even think. Uh, the other guy at Paramount. Um, not him. him. Um, Tom Cruise. I mean, Tom Cruise had one of the worst box office after one of the biggest box office years with Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Um, because he just got Barbie heimered. Um, but yeah. they're going to keep him happy. They're going to make the other movie. And guess what? I guarantee you the other movie, the next one, is going to make a massive amount of money because yeah. you're in the Tom Hank or Tom Cruise business, right? Um, that would be like Paramount, like doing Warner Brothers would be like 
after Paramount, like, it would be moving Dead Reckoning to, like, October. When, like, that doesn't make any sense whatsoever because it's a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a summer movie, right? Yeah. Like, or or screwing Tom Cruise and, like, I don't know. So, so, we'll, we'll do whatever. Like, yeah, dude, I don't know. Like, it's it's crazy to me. Like, to see the way that they're treating their people, like, I don't know. Like, I, like, I almost feel like, don't you, like, doesn't it feel like, like, do you remember, like, when we had the indie boom, when it was just too, like, like, it came at the perfect time, like, where, like, these indie movies started coming, Quentin and all them just rose out of the Kevin yeah. Smith, Rodriguez, doesn't it feel like, like, we're primed for something like that right now? Like, it, young yeah. voices... The, I think the biggest issue is getting the distribution now. Yeah. Um, there's there's digital distribution models, and that that's great. But like, you know, I, I mean, very few people make a movie and don't want to actually see it in a movie theater. Like, if you're exactly. making a movie, you want to see it in a theater. I, I, that was one of the things that I was, um. I don't want to say happy about, but mm-hmm. when it was like, oh, movie theaters aren't going to survive COVID, like they're just not going to be able to make it. I was like, oh, well, let them die. Like this, this model is no good. Like it has existed. Like it, it it's just too far. Like these multiplex, like playing the same movie mm-hmm. 19 times, like uh, across, uh, 10 screens and like it, it's just it's too much you know yeah like we're we're, the, we're not getting the variety a multiplex should offer we're just getting like oh this movie's in seven theaters like that that's ridiculous you know if if yeah. i have a 20 screen theater like i should it should be playing at least 15 different movies you know <laughs> it, exactly it's, no, it really should. And, and <laughs> like, that like didn't that, happen. <laughs> no, it didn't. All it ha- all that happened was <laughs> all that happened was is that we got like four big giant movies that everybody wanted to go see in 2019 and then COVID happened and then we were locked in and people started watching stuff. Like it's weird how how like okay, so like I I was thinking about this and how like watching something on the small screen promotes a more intimate, a more intimate movie, right? Even on the biggest, like, you know, projected screen that you have in your, in your room, in your uh, like house, it's still kind of like what, like what it feels like to like need or the thing that I'm drawn to no matter what is more human humanistic stories when i'm home right like even if they have big action scenes i want it to be more humanistic because it feels better when people are in mediums and close-ups like you know it on your screen right and so like it it promotes more humanistic stories and more character-driven stories and less bombast because like you know like the thing that I can very much so say about this summer, about the summer movie season, part of the best part of the best part about it was was that seeing big things happen on the big screen, coupled with 
character-driven work, right? But the balance was always a little bit more to the big bombast all. Um, but at the same time, there's this kind of influence of the COVID era, I feel like, is going to influence us in a very weird way. And it's going to be the fact that we got very intimate, super intimate in those years or in that 18 months, right, where we're all closed in. We got super intimate. So, like, like I feel like that's going to be an influence on us, like the disconnected nature of it, but also the intimacy of it. And it's kind of starting to show itself, right? Like, we're kind of starting to see to see what the COVID era has brought to us um, and what it means. Like, I feel like the Daniels with everything everywhere and all at once, I feel like that's a key indicator of where things are going. Like the, like it's a, it's a very wild version of it. It's, it's the, it's like with across the spider verse, it's like what happens when you unleash an artist and let them do whatever the fuck they want. And that artist happens to be, very good with story and character um but yeah like i don't know it, it's very strange how how like i feel like there's something brewing like a, a shift is happening a, a shift is going to happen because it always does there's 15 I hope so. it's like the 15 year cycle right yeah um you know and we've got some directors that like until this strike like there's always something that's stopping these people from pushing forward like right you get a start and then you stop you get a start you stop and i mean that's on top of them trying to hustle and get something to move forward yeah um but in but what i was saying earlier like yeah. there are more distribution channels now than there have ever ever been yes but, you know part of the problem with with that is those distribution channels are also seeking the big big talent so you have scorsese making movies for netflix you know yeah and you know that's great because you know he gets the money to make the movie he wants to make but the flip side of that is the money they paid scorsese to make a scorsese movie they could have funded uh, like eight or nine of these low budget you know indie like are, are use that for to pick up eight or nine indie movies yes. and like it, it, it's stuff like that that makes me really sad you know i people give chris nolan a lot of shit and i mean i do too but like yeah he he knows where he wants his movies he wants yeah. them in the theater Chris Nolan is not going to make a $200 million Apple Plus movie. He's not no. gonna. No. Like, no. And, and, you know, not to take anything away from the Scorsese's of the world, but, like, you know, you're Martin Scorsese. You could probably negotiate that. Like, yeah, maybe not for the massive amount of money Netflix gave you or whatever, but like you you could negotiate a deal with Warner Brothers or Paramount or whoever to make your movie to be in the theaters to like. And I get they think that those movies don't have a place in theaters anymore because of the superhero boom, but we're, we're seeing the backlash of that now. Yes, um, we are. You know, it's it just. Yeah, I, I hope you're right. 
all that to really say, I hope you're right. I hope these, uh, you know, big guys go back to directing movies that 100% are going to land in a movie theater. And these smaller distribution channels, like, they, I mean, they should be, what should have happened was they should, those places should be the champion of indie film. And they're not, you know? No, absolutely not. They're not, like, unless it's a ward spotter. And that's very sad. Like, you know, it's like, like, but... I don't know. Like, I really do hope that, like, it feels like, like it's right for a change because there's some of these, like some of these young directors, I mean, they're just, they're amazing talents. Um, but like, it also, it also comes down to like, for me, um, like, what are they really? Are they people that just want to make Marvel movies and make money or like, and, and I know, and that's not, I mean, you know, I, I think that I've, I've, I earn the right to say some shit like that because I like you and I, we are very pro pro comic book movies. Like we talk, I mean, we have a podcast where we talk about these movies, like guardians of the galaxy volume three, like is one of the best movies of the year. No, like full stop. No, no preamble bullshit. It's just one of the best movies of 2023. That being said, like, there are young directors today that I hope like they're, they're, they're one of two sc- theories, right? Like you either get, you either get the ones that go right into Marvel, like Coogler did and they can navigate it or the people that go into it, like Chloe's out and get lost in it. But then there's also the other directors that fam- stand firmly against it, right? Like they make a movie <clears throat> and then, they pull a Jordan Peele where they're like, nah, I'm going to just get an extra little bit of bit a budget and see what happens. And then they kind of slowly build, build their things. Like they build their movies. Um, and I hope there's an, there's a world for that because it's like guys like David Edgars who made the lighthouse, who made, uh, who made the Northmen, who makes these wildly esoteric films that cost a lot of money. But I want him to stay in that realm. Like he's making a Nosferatu movie, right? With Bill Skarsgård, the guy who's uh, the um, Pennywise. And yeah. Pennywise is playing Nosferatu. It, and it's very specifically Nosferatu with Anna Taylor-Joy. Like that's the kind of shit that gets me excited, right? Because it's like he's making Nosferatu. Like he's remaking it, but he's not making He's doing what I want to see. I want to see whatever's inside, like creatively. I want to see somebody not just go with an existing IP, but go where their heart leads them. Right? Like if 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 somebody like Jordan Peele had like honestly wanted to go to like Marvel right now, I'd I'd be okay with it. Like because he's already set his grounds, right? Like and then that's what's telling him where his heart to go. It's not going to be, but. I just want to see more. I want to see more variants now. And I feel like there's ground for that now. Like there, the table has been set where you can, you can do that as a filmmaker, but like you said, distribution. And like you said, like Apple and Netflix should be getting guys, but they're not, they're just going after the old heads, like the old, like, Oh, Martin Scorsese, you want to make a four-hour movie because Warner Brothers doesn't want to make let you make that four-hour movie? We're going to let you make it. 
And you know what? We're going to give you the budget. And you know what? You wanted $20 million for your directing fee. We're going to give you that too. But we're not going to put it in theaters. I, I will say that they've done a pretty good job. Netflix doesn't promote things the way they could yeah. promote things. But uh, both Apple and Netflix, it, it, I, actually, a lot of the streaming services have done a pretty good job with trying to diversify and, and create tele or episodic content yes. that is like so vastly different from so many other things. Oh, absolutely. And it just would be nice if that translated over into to film, you know. Yes. Um yes. but no, so far absolutely. it just hasn't. So um so we came up with uh uh well you actually came up with the mm-hmm. idea for our uh, one year anniversary to talk about our top five favorite films. Um which I'm all on board for, but I I feel I'm way more interested in what your top five is, because I honestly, if somebody was like, what's Adam's favorite movie? I don't think I could tell you. (laughs) Okay. Which Um, is makes me a terrible friend, but and uh, maybe I'm, I'm just doubting myself, but I feel like most of the people that know me really, really well were like, if somebody asked them what's Logan's favorite movie, there's one of like five movies that anybody could name. And mm-hmm. like, I, w- I might would go, well, it's not my favorite film, but it's certainly in the top five or six and, and, you know, not feel bad about, you know, like if somebody, <laughs> if you were like, I, I think Jurassic Park's his favorite movie. I'd be like, well, it's number two, but you know, yeah, you're in the ballpark, you know, uh, uh-huh. stuff like that, you know. But oh. if somebody were to ask me, I, I don't know if I could give them even something in the realm of what I thought your favorite movie was. So, so how do you want you want to start backwards and work from like five to one? Okay. Yeah. No. No. Absolutely. Okay. So let's do this. Uh, let's first set the table. So, um, favorite. And best films are two very different things. Yes. Like my, though, I will say my number one is both my favorite film of all time and what I consider the best film of all time. It's a very weird confluence. Um, it changed for a lot, a lot of years. My, my, the, the best film that I've ever seen has always changed. But in the last 10 years, it's kind of settled. It's solidified itself as both the best film and my favorite film. Um, we can do a 10, uh, like a five to one, um, but I just wanted to preamble that. And also what I did was I took out the comfort food movies that are in like, you know, if I, if I said top five, you, like, you know, the, if I said favorite and it was by watching, it would probably be Raiders of the Lost Ark because of the amount of times that I've seen it, but it's not my favorite movie. Um, I, it, but if I really consider it, it's probably not even in my top five. I know that sounds shocking. Like that, Star Wars, um, Aliens, yeah. um, Mad Max, like all of those movies that I watched ad nauseum as a, as a kid, like you would be shocked to say that my favorite films, are they're, they're in the top 20, but they're not in the top five, which I want to yeah. be clear about. 
I'm with you. It's weird, <laughs> um, it's weird right? Um, you would think my be- list would be like, oh, it's all Star Wars and Marvel movies. Yeah. Nope. But it's not. <laughs> nope. It's not. Like, like, there's one that we share that constantly comes into my top five, um, which I'd love to, like, um, because we've talked about it before, and I'm fairly certain that it's in your top five, which is Rio Bravo. It's not on my favorite list today, but because it's also because I've not, I, I didn't want to talk about that movie again because we've talked about it about three or four times. And I mean, like, Rio you know, Bravo has surpassed it, almost like Star Wars, the way I look at it. So, Film Spotting yes. has this thing called the Pantheon, where it's just yes. like these are movies we just don't talk about it because all we would do is talk about it. And I, I would say probably Rio Bravo and Star Wars are the two movies that I just exclude constantly from the conversation because yes. it, it would be all I talked about. Like, exactly. you know, Star Wars especially, Rio Bravo is one of those movies that, it, well, I'm, Star Wars is the same way. Those movies existed before I was born. A lot of movies did. But yeah. those are movies I was born into. Like, I was born into a love of Star Wars. I was born into a love of Rio Bravo because those are movies my dad loved, my yeah. grandmother liked, my uncles liked. Like, it was just always there. So it's it's not something, like, I, I think for Film Dispenser one time, Spencer had us write about, like, what's your favorite sci-fi film of all time? And I wrote about Alien, and he was like, it's Alien and not Star Wars? And I was like, I didn't even consider Star Wars. It was like, you love Star Wars. I'm like, yeah, but like, you know, Star Wars is something that's always been there. Alien was a movie that I found. Mm-hmm. And I was like, holy shit, what is this? What is that yes. giant thing? What the fuck is going on? Like, what is this movie? You know? And Star Wars was just something like... I was, I mean, I was watching Star Wars when I was three, you know? Yeah. It was plopped in front of you. Like, yeah. It wasn't, it wasn't something that was discovered. And that's a big thing with my list is that all of these films are things that I discovered. Um, now, I was primed for them. And, like, when I asked to see them, they, I was, the table was already set for them. Um some of these things were existing in my world. Like it's kind of great that you talked about sci-fi because my first one is a sci-fi movie. Um, my number five favorite film is the adventures of Buckaroo Banzai and in, uh, into the eighth dimension. Um, <laughs> That's awesome. This, <laughs> so this is a movie that has been, I'm going to say preached at me uh, for a large part of my existence, especially like falling into older pop culture, like getting mm-hmm. to know like people slightly older than me. Because um, mm-hmm. it's not something my dad would have ever watched. It was like, oh, you got to see this movie. You got to see this movie. I've seen it once. I, I thought it was fun and great. And but I know so many people that that love this movie and we've never talked about it. So no, what, what's your... Give me, give me your your uh, your pitch for why it's okay. it's so great. Um, so 
30 years before like modern filmmaking storytelling happened um wd richter who also wrote big trouble in little china which is also a favorite of mine but we're not gonna like i actively chose not to to, to talk about that movie because again it's one of those things that i've talked about ad nauseum um so <laughs> uh wd richter wrote a movie that we're like it's the 30th uh, it's the 30th movie in a series that we haven't seen the last 29 of but every time i come back to it it is super modern it always feels fresh it feels and it we've gotten to the point in this era where you don't need like it's almost like we we tell people nowadays you don't need to watch the first season don't watch the first season the office if anybody's never watched The Office, what's the first thing you say? Ah, oh, skip the first season. Yeah, it's not really necessary. If yeah, you have to watch it, watch like the last yeah. two episodes two of episodes. the first season. Yeah, exactly, because it sets the table for season two. Uh, same thing with like Parks and Rec. Ah, you can skip it, right? Like you can skip the first season. It doesn't It doesn't mold into what it is until the second season. Um, we do that all the time now, but that's what this movie was given shit for. And essentially the short pitch is, is... Um, Peter Weller plays Dr. Buckaroo Banzai, half American, half Japanese, scientist, rock and roll superstar, and all around just general Elon Musk, but good for good before Elon Musk was Elon Musk, right? Um, and he takes this invention of his um, and goes into another dimension through Earth and brings back a warring clan of arachnoid-based humanoid aliens. And these aliens have been hiding since the 50s. And the best part about that is, is that it loomed in pop culture and basically, set, set, basically reframes Orson Welles' famous War of the Worlds as a real thing that was happening and then these aliens got in touch with like basically manipulated him into saying it was all fake but the whole thing that happened in new jersey with the alien invasion really did and these are the aliens and buckaroo bonsai and the kong kong cavaliers who are both a band and his band and also his Ride or die, like adventure dudes. They're the Avengers. <laughs> yeah, essentially, right? <laughs> Populated by 80 stalwarts like Pepe Cerna, if you know who Pepe Cerna is, the Clancy, Br the Kurgan, Clancy Brown, Jeff Goldblum. Um, and it's just this wild ass adventure that Buckaroo Banzai gets into and has to save the world again because there's like 38,000 people. Um, uh, there's like, like there's 38,000 enemies in his world. Um, one of which is the, are these, the, the electroids, they're called electroids. And it's just a big booming adventure. It has Ellen Barkin and there's a movie in my list that we're going to be very, very frank about, um, because I don't normally talk about this, but, um, like little Adam grew up to be like, you know, aged a whole bunch when he saw Ellen Barkin in this movie. Yeah. Um, he didn't know why, but Ellen Barkin was a thing for him in, in the early 80s. Short-haired pixie craziness that was, that style was very much so Adam's like like thing through line through the, through the 80s and 90s as he grew up and understood what crushes were. But 
Ah, uh, she's in it. Like, I mean, I just told you. I didn't even mention fucking John Lithgow as the craziest Italian fascist that's been invaded by an alien species inside of his mind. I mean, the, the movie has John Lithgow, Jeff Goldblum, and Christopher Lloyd in it. Like, yes. And those are like the zany of zaniest, like, 80s and 90s folks. Like, yes. it, it, it is... Uh, it, it's pretty crazy. And, and it's like uh, right yeah. in that sweet spot of like uh, those uh, not cheesy 80s sci-fi movies, but like just past cheesy, you know? Yes. there. It's that thin, thin line, that demarcation. And for me, the reason why it's one of my favorite movies is as a kid growing up, like, like I, I'm bi, I, I'm triracial. I'm, I'm part, uh, I'm part Latino. I'm part Japanese, and I'm white, right? Like, so, like, my dad's white. My mom is Japanese and and Mexican American. Um, and so when I was growing up, <laughs> like, you didn't have biracial heroes, right? Like, you had one, you you had, you know, a bunch of white dudes doing kung fu. You had the occasional Asian guy. Um, that if he wasn't a pervy sidekick or some stupid, like, like racist caricature, um, he was usually kind of like the side, like, I mean, again, sidekick adjacent, um, you had the occasional black dude who would be involved in genre films, um, as the hero, but mostly like you never got anybody like, like of a mixed race. And so Bucker Banzai, even though Peter Weller is the whitest of the white dudes, um, being like and it being a very big thing in the movie like he was both japanese and american like or and white like made it something that i gravitated towards because i even as a little kid and this is why i know representation matters because it's something that happened literally 40 years ago for me right like it's literally the 40th anniversary of it it's night it was made in 1984 it is or it, it's coming up uh 20 it was made it was released in 1984 it's uh, 2023 so it's 39 years old but again it was something that i glommed onto, and that's the through line for me is the holding on to the representation that buckaroo bonsai was both japanese american and white american um and man it just it works for me in every single way like the cast the crew the film itself the style like i always dreamed that i would be able to make like a remake of Buckaroo Banzai and do a zero a zero reset of it. Like that's my dream, right? Like my dream is to make remake Buckaroo Banzai, but do it from ground zero, like do a college years one and yeah. then work its way up uh to bigger things and basically be able to recast and reset the table for this film. Like, you know, like the thought of getting somebody who's the equivalent of Jeff Goldblum but in his early, early twenties is like exciting to me, right? Like it's a movie that's beyond a movie for me. Like it's become thing. Like it's not. It's it's one of my favorite things because there's also a, they last year they just brought out a book, a sequel to this, yeah. uh, a sequel to the movie. Um, the the original graphic of uh, the original novel that it's based on. I had an original copy of it, and I also had the reprint of it um, because I was such a big fan. I didn't realize that the original 
was so because it was out of print it was so valuable i mean it's something like it's even now it's something like five thousand dollars right because the original was such a, a small run or people just threw it away but that book it's it's the equivalent of the movie but instead of it just referencing things it has an appendix where you can go back and literally half of the thing is an appendix where you can go back and read about these adventures and read about the the things that are just mentioned in this movie, um, which gives you a great historical context. So like when you rewatch the movie, it becomes even bigger. Um, it's just something that I love. It's like, it's big, it's stupid, it's fun. It's smart at the same time that it's stupid. It has casts that I've grown to love and see through all like the last 40 years. And it's it's a bit of brilliance. I've I owned I've owned it on every single format that it's come out in. And I appreciate and I want it to be in 4K. Like I I desperately want to see Scream or Shout who released the the Blu-ray of it re-release a 4K of it. Um yeah, just a bit of brilliance. Yeah. Uh I need to it's one I need to revisit. It's also one I'm always shocked because it's such a cult film. Like it, yes. it's so big in so many like smaller circles that there isn't more around it. And I don't know if it's because it's so safeguarded by the people involved with it or if it's just I, I just happen to know so many people that love this movie. And it, maybe it's not quite as big as I think it is. Um, but you think no, of something no. like like they live right which is yeah. another like Carpenter cult classic. Um, and there's there's action figures for They Live. There, there's all kinds mm -hmm. of like weird pop culture-y things for They Live, but like there's not a lot of that for Buckaroo Banzai. And like, it is the kind of movie that screams like you could do a lot with this. There could be an animated series. There could be plenty of action figures. There, there, there could be a comic book. Well, uh, there probably was a comic book. Um, there was. Uh, it was a Marvel. Okay. It was a Marvel comic book that is almost impossible to find, and the prices for this this fucking thing are so enormous that even me, a super fan, um, would not pay for it. And Marvel has not released has not re released it because, like you said. The, the creator, W.D. Richter, is very, very, very precious about his, like, about this, um, about this, about this property. Uh, so much so that. Um, so it's very large, Last Starfighter-ish then. Yes. Because that, that's the case with The Last Starfighter is yes. that the, the, the guy behind it is so, like, precious about it. And, you know, good for them. Like, that thing exists. We love that thing. Like maybe the 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 worlds within our mind of like what happens next or what happened before are are better than what they could ever give us anyway so it, it, very true though okay you want to hear something crazy you know do you know what's stopping the remake of the last starfighter other than a, a rights issue but the rights issue has been resolved is that there's a certain filmmaker that they know loved the movie wants to remake it and he hasn't just had time to talk about it and it feel and it's the it was the person that they initially wanted and almost got to direct it which is Steven Spielberg oh wow how crazy is that i mean cuz he was a video game nut right yeah. like he's always been a video game nut and um like from what i understood was like 
they initially brought it to him and he loved the idea. But as you already know, in 1984, there was a lot of like, so there's two pieces that precluded him from ever doing this, right? Which was, of course, fucking Lucas pulling him in because because George Miller, George Miller was originally supposed to direct Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. And there's some place in the multiverse where I'm going to get that movie and it's going to be close as close to an R-rated movie that you'd ever seen in your life. And if you really think about it, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom is designed like a George Miller movie, right? He developed it. And then Byron Kennedy, his producing partner, the his best friend died. And it sent him into a sh- into despair, like so much so that he literally didn't do anything for like two years and just and it was only by mel gibson's force that he got onto thunderdome because uh, like gibson was drowning at thunderdome and didn't know like and like the director didn't wasn't wasn't making a good film and he was forced to do it but i mean he was literally shattered so spielberg decided to make temple of doom but it was because of that it was because of et and the John Landis of it all, and him having to basically flee the country that he didn't go on the stand um, to have to testify in court about negligence. That's right. literally a true story. Like, you can read about this account. You can read about it on the Twilight Zone Files, which is a book about the making of Twilight Zones. I don't like talking about it because that is a very disgusting, disgusting situation. Um, but anywho... There's a world, like, it's all to say that, um, like, Last Starfighter could have happened, but it never did because of all of those things. But Spielberg has always maintained that he would totally, he would totally remake the movie. But because of all the rights issues and because Spielberg's name is in the mix, it never happened. Not even a sequel could happen. And I know that Lance Guest has actually talked about the guy the writer, him and um, <laughs> man, she was she was a big crush for me. Uh, Catherine Mary Stewart have yeah. uh, have talked about the sequel and what it was supposed to be, and it never happened. Um, which is like you know, again, and Last Starfighter. I love that fucking movie. Um, that 4K is beautiful. Um, but yeah, no, like I feel like yeah, those I, two I just bought the Blu-ray, the 21st, 25th anniversary the 25th Blu-ray. Anniversary? Yeah, yes. uh, I I got it in a buy. I, oh, I sent you that picture yesterday. A buy two yes, get two deal. I, saw it. I, I yes. so I I basically got it for five dollars. So, um, yeah, I you're gonna, how long couldn't has it pass it up. It? How long has it been since you've seen Last Starfighter? <sighs> Fifteen years. Fuck, you are in for a treat, dude. I mean, we Me watched and- it so much when I was a kid that like I I still like very much remember like large chunks of that movie so it's so popcorny buttery good in the best way possible like because they mean everything and the thing that i like like i watched i re- like i think i told you i rewatched it me and my wife watched it on a saturday night like 4k on her big screen with big sound and i will tell you this much like i know that i talked about how like you know small screen all that bullshit but when you don't have a rep screening like the like in two weeks plus or minus, like this is the best way to watch it. Like and watching it on the 4K, I will tell you, like it's just it's just a fucking good movie. Like they're like it's the right kind of cheese. When 
when she looks up into the sky, when she realizes everything that's going on and the clone is like sacrificed himself for it. When she looks up in the sky and says, Alex Rogan, I love you. Like, I swear to God, it's both like this pumping in the air, but also the super cheesiest fucking line that you could ever possibly hear. Because who the fuck says that after shit has happened like that? Yeah. I would be a melted mess, brain melted mess, but it just works. Like from head to stern, like the last Starfighter, I think you're going to be in for a treat that. Those I, 80s like, sci-fi things were just something else, man. You man, know, and, and Buckaroo Banzai, like, back to that, it is yeah. it is a testament to that. I really, really need to revisit it. And, uh, you know, it's maybe this will... Oh, well, there you go. I said, maybe this will prompt me to, uh, to, to check it out again. Because I, I saw it once probably 20-something years ago. So... And I was like, yeah, that that was something. <laughs> um, I mean, I didn't hate it. I was just like, uh, you know, it's one of those things where so many people have talked it up. And I was just like, okay. Um, but, uh, all right. So my number five, I, I, I struggle with this because, again, my list, I feel like is going to be so obvious. Um, but. I I do have an honorable mention, but for real, my number five is uh, almost famous. It, it just is. Okay. Like, can I can I ask can I ask a, a very specific question? And you already probably know what I'm going to say. Is it theatrical <laughs> or untitled? I I really like the theatrical cut. Like I I get why there there's stuff in the the untitled cut that is. Mm-hmm like adds to the story but like i saw the theatrical cut in theaters it's the one i watched over and over and over and over again when it hit home video um because that that untitled cut didn't come out for a year and change yeah yeah and yeah you know it really introduced me to him as a director and a writer and a, a filmmaker. Um, it, but in, you know, he's made some mistakes. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I, I don't know that there's just something so perfect about that movie. And, you know, I, I know it's an obvious choice, but it, it just is. No, it's not like okay. So first off, like that's a wonderful choice. Like early two thousands, Adam would have hugged you because you said that. Because it's like okay. So like like let's let's be honest. Like it's it's the it's the single film. It's the single best film about entertainment entertainment journalism. Like everything about it is like like from like it's not even just journalism. It's criticism. It's everything. Like it's perfect. Like it's a, it's a, the theatrical cut is a perfect distillation of from macro to micro, how you feel as a journalist and a critic. Like it doesn't matter who you are. Like it just automatically you glom onto it. And it's like that. It's that like joining the circus, like energy and it's the era. I mean, it's, it's like that music, man, like that. I grew up playing, you know, penny poker with my dad and his family on 
Friday nights listening to, you know, that music, but like older music as well. Like, but that's the music my mom listened to, you know, those are the records she had when we were kids. And like, it's just, it, it does romanticize that era. It does gloss over some some things that are are really really troublesome um but it's also the things that they were like it's not untrue you know Mm -hmm. that's the thing like is it glossing over it yeah in the same way that everybody just overlooked all of the things that were going on i mean he does draw attention to it at one point you know um you know, yeah. when when uh, William goes off about, you know, like he traded you <laughs> like <laughs> like you were a six pack of beer, you know, um, <clears throat> and then to which like there has never been a more perfect Kate Hudson moment than when no. she wipes the tear and she yeah. says, what kind of beer um, that both like. My love affair with Kate Hudson started in that moment, like I fell in love with her and was like. It, it's it really the like, only movie I love her in until she started yes. working with Ryan Johnson. <laughs> um, exactly. Seriously. <laughs> like, it was chasing a high, right? Like, yeah. It's wonderful. It, it's like, like she mirrored her, her mother's, like, career trajectory yeah. in so many ways. It's not even funny. Um, but, but it, oh, you man. know, and I, I've had, I, I, I've discussed this movie with so many people. And someone I discussed it with really did just she kept drilling down on like, well, it it's just because of her, like, you know, but, and I'm like, it's not, it's not though. Like it, it's his journey. It, it's the, like the people that you, you think are your friends that wind up really not being your friends, man. You know, yeah. the people you trust that you really shouldn't have trusted. Like it, it's all of those things and it captures it so well without ever like, the the love stuff, the puppy dog stuff really draws attention to itself. But like all of the other things really like they don't they don't draw attention yeah. to themselves, you know, and it, it's it's just in my opinion, it is a absolutely perfect film, like top to bottom, completely mm-hmm. perfect. No false notes. No, like it, it's just perfect. And Every so often I'll have a conversation with a friend of mine about like most overlooked films in the Academy's history and stuff like that. And I always, 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 always go back to almost famous, man. Like, yeah, it, it got a yeah. couple of acting nods at like it, it, it should have swept in my opinion. Like it was so damn good. Um, but again, I, I know it's not it's not an it's not a underdog movie necessarily. It is a movie that so many people love. And you know, it it warms my heart every time Joanna Robinson on a podcast yes. mentions uh the uncool. Like cool. <laughs> you know, it it's such a good moment and such a great sentiment from an actor that we've lost too damn soon. So really, they're like, fuck, man. Like Philip Seymour Hoffman, fucking nothing but respect. Like, like I don't even know, man. Like you can't. 
Like, you just can't. Like, there's nothing that can be said about him in this movie that I don't even know, man. Like, it's hard because it's like, this is the, like, I feel like as much as people fell in love with, with, um, with Kate Hudson in this movie, you felt like if you've never, if you've never seen Hoffman in anything else, and this is your first introduction to him, because I mean, until this point, he was kind of like, he was on the rise as a, like, you know, he was yeah. a culty actor that taught, but that PTA used and continued to use, thank God. But at this moment, it was like, this is your introduction. And it was the perfect distillation of like what made Philip Seymour Hoffman great. Like the ener- the manic energy followed by the moroseness. And when, I mean, it just, when he calls him and he goes, what are you listening yeah. to? And he goes, still water. And he just hangs he up hangs on him. It's so fuck it. fucking good. <laughs> like, the older I get, the more good. I know that. Yeah, I know. Like, <laughs> the older I get, the more I feel like Lester. Like, I really honestly yeah. do. Like, fucking kid. Or or it's like, like you know, when he's in the, uh, when he's in, when he's talking to the DJ and he's flipping through the vinyl. Like, I would never do that. But yep. when he gets to the point where he finds what he wants and it's Lou Reed and he goes, come on, a little bit of Lou Reed. And he goes, it's a little too early in the morning. He's like, nah. And then he puts it on and it's just like, that's me. Like, that's me when to a T where if I don't like something, it's in my house or it's like, you know, I'm going to fucking change it. Like, I'm going to just like, nah, fuck it. It's not working. Take it off. Fucking put something else on. It's like, but then it's like, Saturday night, like, like, it's like the, the conversation, like, you know, like, did you know he's coming down off of his, like, you know, cough syrup and meth mix? Cause like, you know, he's just like, he's like, I'm glad you picked up the phone. He's like, I'm alone. I'm uncool, dude. I'm alone. I'm not going to do anything on a Saturday night. And you know what? That like, I feel that in my heart, like the older and older I get, because I don't know if I like, it's not just that I'm not, I'm, I'm uncool. It's just, it's like, you know, sometimes I just want to be alone with my movies, my wife, or my vinyl and my wife, and that's it. And we're okay with that. And it's okay with it. And it's like, it's almost like Philip Seymour Hoffman told me at that point, you know, it's okay to be uncool and it's okay to do these things. And I think he spoke to a generation of us, right? Like, yeah. because, we, like, something that we don't talk about, like, I mean, we kind of do, but we're only, we're only two years apart. You were born in 80, or I'm a year apart. I was born in... I was born in 78. You were born in 79. So like this movie was at the perfect time for us, early twenties. It was so like the brain is still soft soaking things in. And like, I didn't even think about it. It's a formative movie for me too, because it's like, you want to be the guy traveling with the band, right? You want to be that cool kid, but like also fuck that. Lester's awesome, man. (laughs) Exactly. You know, but yeah, he sits in his apartment alone and like that's sad and it sucks. And it's, but like you look at that guy and you're like, I would be that guy's friend. I would go hang out at his apartment and listen to the records he wanted to listen to. Like, I want to be that guy's friend. And, but like you also want to be the kid traveling with the band, you know? Like yes. it, it's, it's just, and all of it, all of it is fucking true. The whole story is basically true because this is exactly what P.T. Anderson did. And he he rode around with the Eagles for months. Like, 
I I have a shirt that is so well worn. Um, well, actually, I don't know. I I might not have it anymore. Um, it is uh, it, it's that album cover that. Uh, oh, um, uh, yes. Or not album the Rolling Stone cover, just cover. the Eagles yeah, on yeah. tour with the Eagles or whatever. So, um, uh, yeah, it might have fell apart. But uh, yeah, I wore that shirt to death, man. And you know, I, I, it's just I love that movie. You know, I just unapologetically love that movie. Um, it put me on a P.T. Anderson bandwagon for a long, long time. That really I didn't fall off of until what was that Hawaii movie? Aloha. Yeah. yeah. Cameron yeah. Crowe. Um. Well, I mean, okay. So or not, like, let, yeah, that's what I meant. Yeah. Came across no, I know what you meant. Well, I mean, they're like, I mean, so like, so like, like an, an, an adjunct, Sorry. if there's very few words. <laughs> no, no, it's all good. And, but it's a perfect, it, like, P.T. Anderson made his, which is Licorice Peach, right? Right, like, right, like, right. Like, literally, P.T. Anderson made his I was, own Almost Famous. Yeah. But, but it's not, like, it's nowhere near as good as Almost Famous. Like, it's good. But it's I, almost I had good. Philip Seymour Hoffman on the brain, who has yes. permeated both of those. <laughs> and I was, <laughs> I was thinking about, um, but yeah, it put me on the the Cameron Crowe bandwagon. So, um, yeah. and, and I mean, really, I like I was there for all his dumb shit. Like, uh, yeah. we bought a zoo. We bought Elizabeth a zoo. Town. Yeah, yeah, Elizabeth Aloha. Town. Yeah, and, and Aloha was like, eh, I don't. I re- it turns out really, I think I just like Almost Famous, and that's it. So, <laughs> uh, um, Almost Famous, like, I mean, say anything, Almost Famous singles, Jerry Maguire, and like that's a run. Like that's that's literally an early '80s to late 2000s or early 2000s run. That and even Vanilla Sky, I will give him Vanilla Sky because it's yeah, it's I, I like yeah, I like Vanilla Sky. Yeah. It's just as soon as he got to Elizabeth Town, it became kind of wonky. Then we bought a zoo, got even wonkier because it's like, man, that's a fucking navel gazing. And then it all coalesced to this goddamn Aloha movie where he casts Emma Stone, and Emma Stone will always be apologizing for being a, a be, playing a Hawaiian yeah. native um, when he could have cast any number of native like. Just don't tell the fucking story, okay? Like, just don't, okay? Like, just don't. But then he's kind of, like, you know, he's been, um, like, so, like, he he had been working. It's kind of funny that we talk about it because he he finally got his almost famous Broadway show, new stage musical yeah. off the ground, and he received a, a best uh, award for best original score nomination um, out of it. So it's actually, like, what he's been doing is he actually went to the theater which is kind of funny because it's like, where does Cameron Crowe exist in 2023? And it's like, of course it's going to be fucking Broadway because most of the guys that are handling, like most of the like writer, writer guys of our era, our era that we grew up with are going back to the theater. Aaron Sorkin, Aaron Sorkin. I mean, Aaron Sorkin was a fucking name and now he's gone back to, I mean, which the stage is the stage. Right. But I mean, he went back to do kill a mockingbird because if we really think about it, To Kill a Mockingbird should have been a remake that he wrote and directed with Jeff Daniels starring in, not as a Broadway muse, a Broadway play production. But oddly enough, it is. Um, so, but Cameron Crowe, man, like he was, 
and almost famous like like it's weird because it's like if i want to watch almost famous i'll watch the director's cut or i'm sorry uh, the, the original cut but if i want it on in the background and i like and cameron crow says if you want to travel with the band and you kind of just want to mill you in the back i play yeah. untitled because it's a three hour it's like a close to a three hour movie that you could just and it and the touring is so long but it's just it's comforting. And like, yeah. I could totally see why that's a favorite movie of yours. It, it really is a great, it's really I a great I can't believe I said P.T. Anderson. I'm kicking myself for that. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I know like, it's Cameron Crowe. <laughs> oh, like, you know what the funniest part is? Is that I didn't even realize you were saying it. Like, they're so weirdly kind of coalesced together, even though P.T. Anderson makes these weird Kubrickian yeah things it's it's very uh like uh, to some degree it's very like tarantino kevin smithish where it's like yes. oh they were coming up at the same time and um well it can't i mean cameron crowe started a little bit earlier but like that's the thing is cameron crowe was doing this shit when he was 13 <laughs> you know yes, like was. um so uh but yeah they they had a similar run and i uh, yeah anyway um I, I I knew it was Cameron Crowe. <laughs> no, I we brother like I didn't even miss, I didn't even notice that you had, had done it until in, until the last second, and it was just like oh, whatever. I mean, they're, they're, like it just proves it proves to me that like some people are so interconnected that it's not even funny. I did um, fall off the PT Anderson bandwagon too, because <laughs> that was oh, another guy much like Cameron Crowe that yeah I I really think the master really just like <laughs> i'm glad so many people and it's great performances but yes. that, i was just like I, I can't go on this trip anymore with this guy like i just can't do it man so i i love your levity about about pt anderson <laughs> that makes me that makes me both like kind of nervous but also like okay yeah you know what he is up his own ass i will tell you this much watch licorice pizza like it's on prime that's my that's my only thing is that I will say, watch Licorice Pizza, and I feel like he stepped back like, like he stepped back like ten or fifteen degrees, and he just made a movie that's kind of like it's literally kind of like almost famous, but it's it's not about journalism. It, it it's just about being a kid and being a precocious fucking idiot of a kid, um, and. Yeah, I've yeah, never watched anything kind of like, since The Master, but like, I, I like, I, I don't know what. It's hard to say which P.T. Anderson was the thing that gra grabbed me. I like, I mean, Boogie Nights is Boogie Nights is amazing. Magnolia yeah. is amazing. Like, it was probably you, you, Magnolia, really, because I, I was punch, like, punch what the hell is going on? Punch Drunk Love I avoided because I was not an Adam Sandler guy. It wasn't until oh. after I'd seen Magnolia I went back and watched Punch Drunk Love. And I was like, oh, oh shit. Okay. And then like I watched Hard Eight, which if anybody's yeah. never seen Sydney, aka Hard Eight, holy shit. What an what that an underrated film. Um a masterpiece. A masterpiece. Yeah. Like like I oh god damn. Um I love that fucking movie. Um, yeah, it's so good. <laughs> Um, anyway, okay, anyway, I, anyway. So what, what's your number four? What's your number four? Okay, so this is going to, like, I think we've talked about this before. I'm going to make this one brief because it is a, it's a favorite of mine. Um, I'm, I'm a guy who can't sing or dance. And so it would be perfectly perfect that I love, my favorite musical of all time is Singing in the Rain. Um, and if 
no one has ever seen this. Like, it's very interesting because I feel like what people think that it's about and what it's actually about are very different things because it's all because kind of like hopping off of your almost famous thing. It is a behind the scenes look at Hollywood during that era. Um, And like, you know, it does better without the R ratedness of cocaine and all that bullshit of what happened in the silent era than Babylon did with its babbling on three and a half hour runtime with all these beautiful stars. It works so much better in singing in the rain. And it's just, it's pure magic contained in an hour and 40 minutes. Like it literally is perfect. Um, Gene Kelly, oh man, I don't even fucking, I don't even know what I can tell you. Like, I wasn't a fan of his until I saw this. I didn't see this until very late in my life. I think it was, I was like 16 or 17 when I saw it. And it was at the time, like, okay, so like, here's the weird thing, is that it was at the time of the music video, right? Like the rise of the music video, the like the Missy Elliott, like in the, the Jamiroquai, all of this weird dance stuff that was happening in, in music videos. I happened to see this at the same time and it connected and hit me hard in a hard way because a lot of the dancing that's done in this, the way that, that, that everybody works in this, um, it's so much like that era of, of hip hop and dance that it feel, it felt like it was like a time machine, like Gene Kelly and Stanley Donan were like creating something that wouldn't be something that would be a big thing until the 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 mid 90s to late 90s when people started making very inventive music based or dance based music videos like Fat Boy Slim with with fucking with with Christopher Walken yeah like that and like that's my big sell to people like the reason why I love it is from head to stern it's a movie that I can just I can watch and it puts a smile on my face the entire time because it's something that is just pure joy. Like I know that Jackie Chan calls it one of his favorite films and I can see it. It's it's a lot funnier than you think it's going to be, you know? Right. It really is. Like you look at like the, the scenes that people like always show of and you're like, "Uh, I don't want to watch some like, like, lovey dovey dancing like it, but it's really kind of funny like it, it, right? it's got uh just some really great just i i don't i don't want to call them bits but i mean they kind of are you know they, they, i kind of sort of but at the same time it's like got this sense of humor um it really does like like uh donald o'connor make him make him laugh is like a true blue, like pre, um, pre Jerry, uh, pre Jerry Lewis, like, like set up fall down comedian, like weird physical comedy musical stunt thing that not only defies logic because of the physicality that he's doing and the matching of like Donald O'Connor. If you can keep up with fucking Gene Kelly, Gene Kelly is a master. Like you watch yeah. him work, you see him dance. It's a masterclass. You see how like. Now that I'm older and I understand, because he's literally my age when he made this movie, and this dude was in the best shape of his life. You can tell. Like, everything is form-fitting, but everything that he does is him doing it because it's all medium shots. You can see him clearly. Donald O'Connor, the same thing. Um, it 
it's just one of these movies that you just like it's as funny or even funnier than anything else that was made in the era it's like the whole like his rise to fame as he's talking about it at a premiere is so inventive but it's hilarious because it's setting up so much and you get so much history in a certain amount of time right but then you've got people like gene hagan playing lena lamont and you don't hear her voice until like 10 minutes in and when you hear it it's just pure comic timing and then it just becomes i mean like i I haven't even talked about debbie reynolds and at 19 debbie reynolds being able to to rise to the occasion and i mean like talk about the kate hudson of it all right like basically going toe-to-toe with gene kelly donald o'connor gene hagan um sid sharice like like you don't ever forget about debbie reynolds even though sid sharice and rita moreno are both in the movie in the final 20 minutes in this dance that's the the other thing the fucking cast is yes insane like and you know nobody talks enough about that either when they do talk about the appreciation for the movie like it's usually uh, you know, for the dance routines, which are really, yeah. really great. I mean, unbelievably great and still hold up, still look spectacular. Um, I mean, like so much so that like, you know, the, what was it? Several, several years ago, uh, uh, they did a make them laugh spoof on yes. SNL with, uh, Justin Gordon-Levitt. Right. And, yes. Like him doing like crazier and crazier things, <laughs> like you know, like running through walls and stuff. But like that <laughs> cast is just so damn good, man. Um, it I haven't really seen is. it in ages. I I need to revisit it. I used to have there was like a two disc like Blu-ray or not Blu-ray, a uh, DVD, DVD set, yeah, yep. that I had for the longest time. I had so much stuff on it. It was so good. Um. And and I, I just when I had to you know shrink my collection down is one of the things I lost, but uh, yeah, what a great film! So absolutely, and I will say this: like I'm a huge I'm a huge fan and hater of films within films, and the films within films of this movie are better than any other film yeah. within films. The only thing that comes close. And it's not comes close. It doesn't come close because it's not the same format. But I'm going to make an analogous because it's also like a top 10 favorite film, like an honorable mention, um, which is Rushmore and uh, Max's theater productions. Yeah. The only thing that comes close because there's an accuracy to it. You, but yep. You, you just watch Asteroid City, right? And yes, we were I talking did. about that. And, and it's just like, I see what you're trying to do, man, but you're not. <laughs> You're not really getting it. You're not yeah, getting you it. Yeah, you lost me. You lost me, bro. You lost me. Like, there's a movie in there that's like a reference to Raising Arizona and Close Encounters that you could have done if you just dropped the stupid theater shit, but you didn't. And uh, you made something that I just didn't. I, I, It distanced me. Like, I mean, like, if we're going to have that little brief conversation, a little yeah. nugget in there. Um, What is your number four? Uh, so... <laughs> This is maybe the least obvious of the entire list, only because 
the movie for it to be in my favorite it doesn't come up that much um okay. but it it's the brothers bloom oh ed uh no, no um ryan johnson yeah. ryan johnson you know what i completely forgot i completely forgot you were you were one of the couple of people that I know that truly love that film. It's a really great film though, by the I way. I saw it like, it's seven times in 10 days. Ooh. Um, wow, dude. Wow. Like that's that. Well, and I also understand why you saw it seven times in 10 days because it, the first time you saw it and you knew that it was like, it wasn't going to be a hit. Like it's the one, yeah. like, it's the one Ryan Johnson movie that wasn't a hit, which is like, uh, yeah, Brick had that Why? like indie hit thing for it, and then yep. you know he makes the Brothers Bloom, and it it's that that sophomore slump, but not creatively because no. I I will I I hold that the Brothers Bloom is his best film. Um, that I I would when I when my pizza delivering days I would ride around mm-hmm. listening to the score, like I, yes. Nathan Johnson's score Johnson. for that movie is so fucking good, a- and it, it just I I don't know something about that movie, I, it, Bloom. Uh, I really really connected. With Adrian Brody's Bloom performance, uh, just this idea of like having this brother that kind of just always overshadowed you and was kind of larger than life and like was so. I, I mean, Ryan wasn't like going on grand adventures. We weren't, you know, out traveling yeah. the world, but you know, it, like things seemed to just always work out. Yeah. For him yeah. and like he could be happy in all of that and like the the opening party is like so just perfect for me because it's like his brother's off having this grand old time yes and bloom is in in this room he's not alone but he doesn't even want to be with the person he's with um throwing cards into a hat you know can (laughs) we uh, let's okay let's talk okay can we back up two seconds and talk about the girl that's in the room nora's the headner and if you're gonna be in a room with somebody in that area yeah you kind of want to be in the room with nora's the headner like People probably know her from um, Heroes, but if you don't know she her from Heroes, Brick you know it. Brick. If you did see yeah. Brick. She was really, really great in Brick. Um, yeah. I, w- one of the things I do love about that party, though, is that mm-hmm. um, <laughs> I so I, I, I had seen <laughs> Brick before, mm-hmm. which is why I yeah. wondered why I sought out Brothers Boom. I was like, oh, this guy's got like some something interesting to say. And then uh like the slash slash film guys were covering it heavy, heavy at the time. And yeah. uh so like it was on my radar and uh so I go see it and having seen Brick a few times by that point, I'm seeing like all of these people from brick in this party scene and i'm like yes. what the hell is going on including joseph gordon levitt um Who has a for two, second cameo. two seconds and <laughs> two seconds. 
uh, only to find out later in an interview or maybe in a commentary track. I don't remember. Ryan Johnson talks about um, basically what it is, is he got they got a little bit of money. He was never able to have a rap party for Brick because that movie was yes. made on such a tiny budget. And so basically he threw a giant party invited everybody who could get there like if you wanted to come if you were involved in brick if you the whatever if you could get there get there if he could help he'd help they had a massive rap party basically for brick that they had wrapped years before um yeah had a big rap party and just filmed it as part of the movie essentially and it, it's so fun and funny and quirky and but like there, there's just so much stuff going on in that movie like it it's the kind of movie that i point to like the princess bride and go it has everything in it like it really does it's not just a love story it's not just an adventure it's not just a comedy it's not just a drama it, it you know the 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 relationship between him and his brother, like really, really hits home for me. Um, you know, this is like, I love this person, but God, I just like, I'm, I'm tired of them interfering in my life. And, you know, I'm sure Ryan probably felt the same way. Um, (laughs) it, it just, it, it's so, so good and so fun and so funny. And, you know, and so many things that, like, I think about all the time, you know, uh, Bang Bang's tattoo, you know, like, when you're done, what does it mean? Is when you're done with something, blow it up, you yeah. know, like, just, you know, him stealing that apple miles to nowhere, uh, it, it just, all of it, it, it all just still resonates with me. I haven't watched the movie in years, but like I could sit here and just do beat for beat like the movie because I've seen it so many times and I, I just I love it so much. It, it really is a great, uh, a truly great, beautiful movie. Um, like my my favorite moment from that movie is the is the walk between Penelope and Bloom um, when yeah. they finally hold hands like yep. that. That. Jesus Christ! Like it made me want to like like, that make, like slow rise for them. Like, like the music, it's just like a little bit of trickle, and then yeah. my whole and then it just like goes, and, and it's so fucking good, man. It really is. You 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 hope like when you see that stuff, you almost hope that there's a there's a romance within within Ryan Johnson that he he's like a romantic movie or a romantic comedy or some kind of yeah. romantically infused movie that he can come back to because since this like affairs of the heart had been very tricky in his movies um yeah. like like Looper like literally his next his next movie after this Looper which is also a brilliant piece of sci-fi mania that I feel is the last Bruce Willis movie that's truly 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 great yeah like it's a true like that's a masterpiece like like that's a that's an early that's a mid-2000s masterpiece that we don't talk about too often enough um is looper um and like how they were able to do how joseph gordon levitt made a young bruce willis bruce willis 
and made Bruce Willis better is yeah. one of the magic tricks of that movie. Um, you know, because they would have de-aged Bruce Willis ten, five years later. They just yeah. would have made it like, yep. you know, and I love that about, about Looper. But Brothers Bloom is, man, like, and the needle drops in that movie beyond Nathan Johnson's, um, Nathan Johnson's There aren't school. many, but they're good. Uh, the begin to begin on uh, yep. the boat is really, really good when she's uh, explaining uh, why she is the way she is, mm-hmm. you know, and she's doing the, the card trick while she's like she's telling the story but doing a card trick and like the turn of the story comes at the turn of the card trick like it's just so well done the narration uh by ricky j uh uh, fucking robbie coltrane man who gets 10 minutes of such just great great screen time um the 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 thing shell yeah the 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 things in that movie that never have to be said, you know, yeah. like you don't need to know too much about uh, their backstory. No. Uh, no. Like everything's inferred, but you get it, you know, it, mm-hmm. it, it's just it, it's such a just a I, again and another one like uh, almost famous, in my opinion, an absolute perfect movie from beginning to end. Um. All right, I'm back. All right. All right. So, all right. So, what is your number three? Okay, my number three. Uh, so, remember how I was talking about Ellen Barkin being a thing for me? Um, when I was a kid. So here's a weird, weird, weird fact, and I'm gonna just state something that's gonna be a fire take. Um. So, in this movie, and in the '60s and the '70s, um, one of the like hottest, sexiest women to ever grace the screen. This is going to sound very weird, but is Barbara Streisand. And the reason why I'm saying this is, and if you don't, if you don't agree or you don't even understand my hot take, then you've never seen Peter Bogdanovich's perfect comedy. What's up doc. Um, I know it sounds weird and out of wild left field, but like I like okay so like this is something that was a confluence of my mother like there's a movie on here that's both my mother and my father but this is like something that's my mother had confluence over like like influence over with me which is that she was a huge Barbara Streisand fan I mean like what woman in what woman that was born in the 50s raised in the 60s and 70s like you know had their teenage years and their 20s in the 70s and 60s did not see Barbara Streisand as God right um, so my Barbara, mom does. <laughs> <laughs> so Babs was a big, big, big thing in our house. And I remember us watching some comedy, some rom-com. I don't know what it was, but it really distressed my mother. And she was like, well, like, you know, it's just not a what's up doc. And I never understood what that meant. And I was like, what do you mean? She's like, like, and my mother let me like my mother and my father let me like there was an open door policy. Unless, unless it was like something that was near pornographic, I could watch whatever I wanted at a certain point in my in my age because they understood that film was a thing for me, right? I caught the bug, and so my viewing habits were never in line with other like with other people in the house, and so I was like, I don't know what happened. She goes, okay, let's sit down and watch this movie. I sat down, 
to watch it. And I was under the understanding that, you know, Barbara Streisand was Barbara Streisand. She wasn't, like, she isn't who she is in this movie and never will, never was again. But it possessed me in a way that I could not tell you, even now when I watch it, why I'm so drawn to her. She's so perfectly, like, she so perfectly realized everything. And it's like this weird thing where I'm like, I don't normally... I'm not one of those guys. I'm not one of those guys that like, you know, or like, you know, supremely attracted to characters. It's not a thing for me. Um, I don't know what it is. I mean, other than Marion Ravenwood, I think that there are a few people on screen that I like, I'm truly attracted to though in this movie, I will tell you, um, you know, Barbara Streisand is Judy Maxwell. (laughs) I don't know what it is. Like, it's just, it's like, the movie itself is hilarious. I, I love this movie. Like it's it's a it's an ode to screwball comedies. Um, I won't say much about it because you really need to like see this movie if you've never seen it before, and especially if you're not a a fan of of Barbara Streisand for whatever fucking reason. This is the movie that I feel like if you're gonna if if she's gonna punch up at you and she's gonna hit you right in the sweet spot, it's this movie. Because she's so funny, she's so sexy, she's so wildly inappropriate. She's such an agent of chaos that if you're if you're into the zone with this movie and you love screwball comedies, this one is going to work for you. I mean, it has people like Kenneth Mars, Michael Murphy, um, Madeline Kahn, Ryan O'Neill, Randy Quaid. Uh, our favorite, our favorite, favorite M. Emmett Walsh shows up in it in M. Emmett Walsh era like it's like 70 it makes basically in 72 so he's still old man emmett walsh but he's just craggly he's not super old like we remember him yeah um or that he's still around and it's just it really i i cannot tell you i don't want to say what happens but it starts with like any like any good screwball comedy with a a piece of misinformation and and it's a piece of misinformation that is pro, uh, pushed on by Barbara Streisand's character. And you can't, like, that What's Up Doc, like, it's truly purposeful. Because she is Bugs Bunny in this. She's literally the female version of Bugs Bunny whenever Bugs Bunny put on a dress. Including, and not limited to, when she first shows up, she has a carrot in her hand. And she breaks off a piece of it, just like See, Bugs I've does. always, I've never seen this movie. And I've always ah. wondered... If the title was a reference to Bugs Bunny, yes. so okay, I I know I, I know it's Bogdanovich, I know it's a Buck Henry screenplay, um, yes. you know, so that that bodes well for both drama and comedy, um, because he was kind of proficient at both, you know, screwball stuff yeah. for sure, because I mean he's he's one of the brains behind Get Smart, um, so. Yeah, I've just I've never never watched it. Um, it also like if you are if you are like me and you do not like Love Story, the Ryan O'Neill movie, this movie has the best fucking last line that you ever will hear, and it's literally with Ryan O'Neill and the stupid la- like I'm not gonna ruin it. I'm just going to say that like Ryan O'Neill has never been so like. I don't know how he was able, like how they made him nerdy because Ryan O'Neill, if you guys don't realize, was like Brad Pitt of his era. Like, yeah. like, like that 70s Brad Pitt 
was fucking Ryan O'Neill. Like, yes, he did some really great work, especially like Paper Moon is, a, is like almost made this list. Um, because it's such a fucking wonderful movie. Like, if you've never seen it, please go see it. If you want to see a movie that's like exactly what I feel like parenting is, but isn't. <laughs> Watch that movie. Um, but Ryan O'Neill, like, and the ability to be able to make fun of himself in this movie is just, I don't even know. Like, like it's just, like I said, it's its what screwball comedies are to me, but it's modernized and it's its my my fetish of Barbara Streisand and where it comes from. It's something that I feel like I had never even told you that I have yeah. for Barbara Streisand. No, um, that's, uh, <laughs> it's a weird I, thing, right? It's not I, weird, but... I know I've probably seen a few Streisand performances, but like, mm-hmm. you know, most of the things my parents appreciated, I also appreciated. But there are a few things uh, with my dad and with my mom both. Like, my dad likes westerns, so mm-hmm. I generally like westerns, but like, he watches like Roy Rogers serials and shit, and I'm just like, nope. Nope, <laughs> not not <laughs> gonna do it. No, this is dumb. Yeah. And for my mom, definitely, I think one of those things was Barbara Streisand, where I'm just like, no, okay. not not gonna do Barbara Streisand. Um, like I remember watching Prince of Tides, and I was probably way too young to watch Prince of Tides, and just mm-hmm. like, yeah, I'm just not gonna go on the Barbara Streisand thing. Um, so I, I think I've just been averse to like going down that rabbit hole, so to speak. Um, and you know, unfairly for sure. So, um, I do love a good screwball thing. So, you know, I, I, you know, I, I guess I just avoided it because of, you know, a few of those things. So uh, I have to, I have to, to give it a whirl. It's it's on HBO Max right now. Um, I know because I I watched it again. Um, I watched it recently (laughs) because it's just like it's I love screwball comedies and it's just like the perfect amalgamation. And like I said, like I I truly do. I like I don't talk about it because I'm very respectful. It's kind of, you know, it's wrong of me to like, you know, put a woman on a pedestal like that. Um, But I feel like. I mean, like, how many people talk about Barbara Streisand and have a thing about Barbara Streisand? Like, not many. Like, I, I don't know very many, if any. Yeah. Um, like, like, but, like, sh- like, her career, like, if you got to her around nuts, like, you know, which is a beautiful film, a very s- disturbing film. If you've never seen Nuts and you're a Leslie Nielsen fan, watch Nuts, because that will change your point of view about Leslie Nielsen. That fucking performance in that movie, like... I'm genuinely shocked that it came out the same year that the Naked Gun movie came out. Like, it's a truly shocking, it's a hard movie to deal with, nuts. But um, I think at that point, if you came in around that era and then, because that's tied with the Prince of Tides and like all of that other stuff, um, I could see how it could be very hard and difficult because like Prince of Tides is a thing. It's not my thing, but it's a thing. Um, you know, uh, the mirror has two faces, a thing, you know, it doesn't have to be a thing. Like, like I never got, like, I was like, why are you doing this Babs? Like you're beautiful and sexy the way you are. I don't need you to tell me that. Like, I don't need a whole movie. That's just all around the fact that yes, you are beautiful. 
but okay, fine. Like we can do that. We can we can spin that. But I like it when you were doing comedies and musicals. Um. So anyway, yeah. What's up, Doc? Um. One of my favorites. Yeah, what about you? I, What's <laughs> I could not be further from a screwball comedy. <laughs> all right, here we go. Um, my number three favorite film of all time is Donnie Darko. And oh, <laughs> before the question gets asked, one hundred percent the theatrical cut. Theatrical cut, yes. I under like the director's cuts very informative once you've seen the movie, but I am very much on the bandwagon of you need to watch this movie in the most confusing way possible because that is the only way. I this sounds very gatekeepery, but I don't give a shit. That's the only way you deserve to explore yeah. further. Like you have to fall into the confusion. Um. Much like Brothers Bloom, I watched this movie about ten, about yeah, probably seven or eight times in a matter of two weeks. Um, I, I what brought me to this movie though was at at that age and a few years before, like a lot of people, um, and, and honestly, still now, I, I like I would I would definitely go out on a date with Drew Barrymore. Um, I was madly <laughs> madly in love with Drew Barrymore. Um, I knew she had a film production studio. I knew they were involved in this movie. I knew she had a bit part in it. There were a bunch of other people who had bit parts in the movie that I also liked. Um, mm -hmm. It was on the rack at the movie rental place. It was a five-day rental. I picked it up. I worked in an office where I was mostly by myself. I sat at a desk, really just waited for people to come in so I could help them. There were lots of days where I saw three people in an eight hour shift and had nothing to do. So I had a portable DVD player and I would watch movies. I rented Donnie Darko. I watched it. I said, what the fuck is that? What happened? I watched it again. One of the guys I worked with, Mike, I was like, hey, Mike, I need you to watch this movie and tell me what the hell is going on. He watched it, came back to work the next day and was like, dude, what is this movie? I was like. I don't know, man. And it became like this virus where everybody I knew that I knew would not be immediately turned off and just be like, this is weird and fucked up and I'm not watching it. Everybody I knew that might would be slightly open to having a discussion about this movie. I then like I had this movie out on rental for like three weeks because I would oh. just give it to people and be like, hey, can you go home and watch this tonight? And then call me so we can have a conversation or I, I like I'll come get it from you tomorrow because I, I, I need to talk about this movie. And it was like that for a while, like when I bought it, when I eventually I bought it yeah. on DVD um, and then I would loan it out. I, I probably burned through uh, five or six DVD copies, just never getting it back or whatever. Um, so I've owned the movie multiple times. Um and I just, I still think about it all the time. Um, it's, it, <laughs> this is going to be weird, uh, like a weird comparison. There, there's a scene in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles live action, the first live action movie, where Raphael's mm -hmm. walking out of the movie theater and he looks back and it's Critters 
It's like, where did I come up with this stuff? And I always love that yeah. because it's like such a reference to like the movie that they're making. Um, yes. In Donnie Darko, there's a scene in a movie theater and uh, the movie theater when they're walking out is playing The Last Temptation of Christ. Mm -hmm. And that's what this movie is for me. Like, it's that story, but told in a way that I don't roll my eyes at it. Not roll my eyes at yeah. any religious yeah. aspect, just in the, the like, okay, yeah, whatever. Like, I've heard this so many times. I've, but that's what it is, you know, like if you've ever sure. seen that Scorsese movie or if you know the the story from the Bible, you know, it, it, it's Jesus on the cross and being tempted the last time shown exactly what his life can be if he would just choose to live it. Um, and that's what happens with Donnie, right? Like he gets to mm -hmm. see what his life would be if for a certain period of time, if he would just choose to live, but instead he chooses to send himself back in time to not get out of that bed, to, to make this sacrifice because he knows while, you know, he would get to live, everybody's life is so much better if he doesn't, you know? A, a, yeah, no, no, absolutely. Like the it it's just it's a hard movie to talk about because you have to talk around stuff because if you get into the weeds of what's going on in the movie, like you just you keep digging and digging and like oh and then there's this and then there's this and then then you then you've just basically talked the whole plot of the movie and it's more than just the plot because a lot of the plot of the movie is just this mentally unstable kid who may or may not be seeing things, um, who sleepwalks, who has a lot of, uh, problems connecting with people who also might have superpowers. Um, like it, it, it's, it's absolutely fucking bizarre. Nothing is explained. Um, no, nothing is, um, it, it really, I love it. Like, I like your, your love of it. Like it makes me re want to rewatch the, the 4k edition that came out last year. Um, the theatrical, like, thank God they brought both the theatrical and the director's cut. So you have your, your choice because I am definitely with you on the theatrical cut aspect. Um, I never looked at it like now, like the reason why I want to rewatch it is because of what you're saying um, uh, about the whole Christ metaphor and sacrifice and stuff in the last temptation. Like I never thought of it from that aspect. Like I've always taken it. So I'm one of those guys that feel like Richard Kelly with, with Donnie Darko and Southland tales. It's his one, two punch of like, it's an equivalent of, Lynch's, I think the box is underrated too, man. It, it, man, um, J Jimmy Marsden doing Jimmy Marsden things and Cameron Diaz getting a chance to do something so different. Mm -hmm. Oh, good grief. Yeah, that one's good. Um, 
But when that you have three bigger. box office flops in a row with casts like that, yeah. you don't really get to do much else. <laughs> no, no. But I will say, I will say this. I feel like, like between like so, Donnie Darko is literally his Blue Velvet. Like literally, like I, like I can say that without any kind of laugh. Like his, he, like, like that movie is on the equivalent of Lynch's first masterpiece, and I feel like. Like Southland Tales is his Mulholland Drive because it's so like he got to go. He got to go to the place that Donnie Darko he started right with the nebulous, like weird, like what the fuck is it all about? But yeah. also, it like I feel like people do that all the time, but it's never done correctly because it doesn't do what Lynchian stuff does, which is prompt conversation and. You just by discussing this and your experience with Darko, like it literally is what the Lynchian effect is to me, which is like Lynch isn't just a great filmmaker. <laughs> he makes he makes things that are impenetrable that provoke conversation the same way that I feel like like Richard Kelly has done. But he gets labeled because Donnie Darko was made when he was, what, 23? Yeah, like. He gets labeled this, like, I don't know, infant terrible, like, kind of thing where, like, but it's not his fault that he makes, like, you know, that he makes this massive, massive movie with, with one of the, one of the rising stars in, in Dwayne Johnson at the time. And he makes something so, so weirdly, like, like, three hour plus impenetrable end of the world, but alien technology is morphing everything. Um movie that like people wholeheartedly rejected it without seeing what it actually meant right like what like what the big picture of it is and this is the time where i'm going to promote something from um spencer howard from film dispenser he actually made a video essay about um about uh not donnie darko but about southland um, tales southland yeah. tales which is a, something that you guys really should see. I like his take on Southland Tales and his dissection of it with this visual, uh, the visual essay. So please go ahead and find it. Logan is so nice. He might actually put the link, the YouTube link to it um, on the show notes so that we can actually reference that. But it's all to say, like, Kelly is one of those guys I feel that has just not gotten his due. Like, he really hasn't. I mean, he, he hasn't I mean, done anything since the box. Nope. And with good reason, I feel like. Kelly, I think that, like, not because of, not because he did anything bad, but after that, don't you kind of retreat back a couple of steps and go, what the fuck, guys? Like, I did my best. There's nothing wrong with any of these movies. Um, and just kind of try to figure it out. Yeah. So, so like, Donnie Darko, like, it, it is very, very small, very weird, very, and, and I, so I get, it, it it's like like clerks and like all those indie things that we talk about where it's just like they they were never meant to be box office successes. Southland Tales, I understand why it wasn't a box office success. It's super long. It is still yeah. really fucking weird. Like you know, and like impenetrable is the right word. Like you've got to want to really engage with that movie because it is not going to help you. Um, so I, I get it. And I, I'm so happy that so many people were just 
down to take that ride with him and make that movie because like the cast is literally fucking insane like it, it is unbelievable how many people are in that movie um yes but i get why it wasn't more successful than it was the box mm-hmm. i really don't like because it wasn't super expensive no. it's it is weird in all the right ways it is kind of terrifying like it's got some really great creepy performances should it have made 200 million dollars no but like it came out and did like nothing i saw it opening weekend and i'm pretty sure i was by myself damn like like that sucks like like I remember seeing it. I, I owned it on Blu-ray. Like I think I saw it on home video. And it w- and the weirdest part was was that when I saw it at the place that I used to buy uh, Blu-rays from, I was like, wait, 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 Richard Kelly's movie already came out. Like I did. Like that's the kind of box office imprint it made in 2009. Like it came and went, and I didn't even realize that it came and went, um, which is very sad. Like, like I hope he's brewing something up. Like he's he's doing something indie. Um, you could never tell with some of these guys that aren't like, like there's a Kevin Smith, like there's a Kevin Smith, like quote, because he's a huge proponent, a proponent of, of uh, Kelly's work. And he's like, you know, there's no difference between him and Nolan other than Nolan got to go to no, uh, Warner brothers and got the special treatment like from Warner brothers. And Kelly yeah. didn't, d- Kelly got was in the atmosphere with the, independent producers quote-unquote who are mostly con men and like he didn't get that treatment if we had if kelly had gotten somebody like universal or new line or somebody that's more adventurous to like co-opt him i think that we're having kind of like similar conversations that we have about lynch about nolan these guys that make kubrick I, i like you can see it like you can see it there you can see that the box is literally uh, like an old school, like Twilight Zoney kind of it, thing. Well, it's well, and it's it's actually based off of a it's based off of a Richard Matheson story yeah. that was adapted by that was adapted by Twilight Zone and Rod Sterling. Um, so and it's perfect. It's a perfect distillation of that of 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 the Twilight Zone. Like you could have put Twilight Zone the movie, semicolon the box, and had like literally computer generated like rod sterling show up and if you make this movie in black and white it's literally an extended like the way that he produces it the way that the movie is created it's literally a twilight zone episode in color yeah yeah I uh, mean, that makes really- me want to revisit the box i haven't i haven't watched it or southland tales in a long time southland tales i i've avoided re-watching in recent years just because it's so fucking long like, but there's so many really great is. things in that movie. Uh, like, you could just look up, uh, like, clips from the movie. Uh, I, I will forever stand. Like, that movie turned me into a Killers fan. More, not not a fan, but I appreciation yes. of, the, <laughs> like, Justin Timberlake's like, little, yep. like, it's so, I was like, Beer what is man? this song, man? Like, you know, but I, I, Donnie Darko did the same thing for uh, 
like that that eighties yeah that eighties music that mm-hmm. I wasn't that big of a fan of that kind of eighties music. I was more yeah. into the like rock stuff. Like Tears for mm-hmm. Fears, not really my, my thing, but like that fucking song, man. Like, yep. uh, I I don't know. I I just I I love it now. I love that segment that starting that that sideways shot on the bus and then the mm-hmm. kids like pouring out of the back of the bus and the, like going through the hallways and like it is one of the best shots in cinema history like i i have no uh, ifs ands or buts about that like it it is one of my favorite cinematic shots uh and and then on the the time flies like uh mm-hmm. it's just so fucking good man um but yeah donnie darko like you know, it's a, it's not a movie for everybody, but like it's the kind of movie that like even if you don't love it, like it's the kind of movie that like if you're willing to watch it and talk about it, you're my people. Mm-hmm. You know, I I'm not saying you gotta that. like it. I'm I'm saying you can sit there and watch it and go, this is fucking weird. It's fucked up. Like it's bizarre. Like w- like let's talk about like all of these things. You don't have to like it. But just being able to sit down and watch it and try to wrap your hands around it, you're like, then then we're good. Like, I, you're a person that I at least, like, want to have a conversation with. It's a handshake film. Like, yeah. like uh, um, the uh, Pure Cinema Pod podcast uh, ran by Ehrlich and, uh, um, and Brian Sauer. Uh, the, they talk about handshake films, films that you just like instantly like if you're if you're a fan of it, it's like this thing where you connected with it. Right. And so like I can totally see how like Darko is that like it, it because it's designed to be that it's designed like there's nothing like what I love is that there's nothing wrong with being a little impenetrable. Right. Like there's nothing wrong with that. The older I get, the more movies I watch, the more I love I love something. I love a little bit of a mystery. I love a little bit of a. I'm not going to give you everything. In fact, I'm going to I'm going to fuck with you and I'm going to make things unreliable. Like I, I'm going to give you an unreliable narrator. I'm going to give you an unreliable character, which like Darko is filled with those things. It's filled with these. Yeah. Li- like these brilliant bits of of cul-de-sacs. Like it's almost like it's mirroring the, the neighborhoods that that are so prevalent in this in this movie, which cul-de-sacs are a thing, right? Like. You go, you go into a cul-de-sac, and the only way to come, uh, or go uh, to get out of it is to come back around the way that you came through. And, yeah. but at the same time, if you look at a cul-de-sac, sometimes it changes you. So, like you know, the first entry of it, going back around and going back out, you're seeing something different because your point of view is shifted. And I feel like Kelly does that with Donnie Darko, the theatrical cut, perfectly. Yeah. Um, and it's it's the reason why I feel like he's like he like this and. Blue Velvet, if you watch them together, it's kind of like a perfect summation of of middle class America in the 1980s and now. Like even now, like I feel like the last time I watched it last year, uh, two years ago, man, it hit hard how fucking crazy ass shit 2021 it was. Like it was like 2021 the movie because of how many conversations had not changed and how we we're having the same fucking conversations. Yeah. Um just in different framings. So, 
man, I like, yeah, that's a, that's a mountain man. And that's a good one. That's a really good one. Like I can see why it's your, one of your favorites. Um, so we're headed to the top of the list. We're headed to our top two. Yeah. What's your <laughs> number two? Something that I feel like I've never talked about on, on here. I've never mentioned it to anybody. It's a newer number two. Uh, it's something that I found maybe about five to ten years ago. Um, it's called The Hot Rock. Um, directed by Peter okay. Yates. Um, screenplay adapted from a Donald Westlake novel. So if you know Donald Westlake, you know the crime. Uh, you know it's a crime thing. But it's adapted by William Goldman. Okay. Say that again. William Goldman adapted this um, from the same name, The Hot Rock, starring... I'm going to give you the list. Robert Redford, George Siegel, Ron Lieberman, Paul Sand, Moses Gunn, and of course, Zero Mistel. I've never heard of this movie. Fuck, dude. Okay, so this movie... Okay, so to set the table, this is a movie about uh, this guy named uh, John Dormunger. Dortmunger. <laughs> Westlake has this great thing with names. Uh, Dortmunger just gets out of prison, serving time for his brother-in-law, George Siegel's character, Andy Kelp, for a robbery that they did. But Dortmunger has the worst fucking luck in the world when it comes to pulling off heists, even though he's a great, um, he's a great, like, heist man. Like, you know, and he's pulling off heists instantly. He is like right out of out of prison. He is pulled into a job over a diamond. Now this diamond is the it is about the size of my fist. Okay, and not the size of my fist. I'm sorry. It's about the size of like it's the size of a like um like an eight ball, like a like a cue ball, right? It's like it's sizable, and it's about pulling off the heist and then it's the favorite trope of my my it's my favorite trope of any movies where problem after problem after problem after problem comes up but this is fucking the ball rolling up to the top of the hill and coming back down like that's the kind of epicness that happens in this movie and basically it's Redford, uh, Dortmunger, and Help trying to figure out how, like, how to maintain and get this diamond. And I will tell you, like, okay, so, like, like if you like, if you like Redford, this is Redford at his loosest. This is Lucy Goosey Redford. This is like Redford <clears throat> having to deal with bullshit and seeing the frustration on his face. But doing it in this way that I don't even like there's nothing before or nothing since that he did that was as like for me, that's as good as what he does here. Him and Siegel paired together with Ron Lieberman and Paul Sand, like as this crew that are trying to get this diamond to get this done. Man, it just puts a smile on my fucking face every time I watch it. Like my my wife knows that it's been a bad, like it's been a bad couple of days if like I, I, I put on something and specifically this movie. Like I, I bring it out because it's just pure joy to me. Um, I've never seen a movie before or since that does 
that does the shit goes wrong kind of genre better than this has. Um, I love a good shit goes wrong movie. Like, yes. Um, Like he was, uh, he's talked about how it wasn't what he wanted, but like Goldman was a a cagey, cagey, cagey man. Um, He liked things that were specifically his, his script. That's why he loved Joy, George Roy Hill and Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid because Roy Hill was incapable of not of not filming exactly what was on the page. But yeah. it's also the reason why The Great Waldo Salt, their follow-up, didn't work. Um, but in this case, this is like, you don't get Peter fucking Yates bull, of bullet fame to do exactly what you tell him to do. You do, you get Peter Yates to do what Peter Yates does, which is make a stylish fucking movie. And he does make a stylish movie, but it's also super fucking hilarious. If you're into crime movies and you're into like, you know, God pulling some bullshit on some people and them looking up, what the fuck? And then going, you know, we could get this. We could get this. We could do this. It's impossible, but it's not impossible. Um, that's what this movie is. And it's got a score by Quincy Jones when Quincy was doing, when, when Quincy was like the equivalent of what, like for, for younger people that don't know Quincy Jones, he was like what Pharrell did, what, what Pharrell started to do with the Despicable B movies where it was cool and he was taking on shit and you go, what? That's awesome. Like, that's what Quincy was doing at this time in the early 70s. And he took this movie on, and it's a cool, breezy... Um, uh, there's a filmmaker, Drew Pierce, who I follow, and he does a lot of, like, vinyl stuff. Um, and he posted about him finding the vinyl soundtrack for $20. I've never seen this vinyl soundtrack under, like, 200 bucks. I know because I want this fucking vinyl soundtrack. Um it's just one of the funniest, coolest, like pure bit of joy. If you don't mind having a lot of frustration, but but having people that are smart in a movie figuring out like terrible problems—that's what I, this movie is. As someone who lives a life that never goes according to plan, I appreciate movies about things that don't go according to plan and people having to be like, "Well, now I got to deal with this shit." <laughs> So. You're gonna love. You're gonna fucking love this movie, then, dude. You're gonna really like. I feel like you're going to, um, like this is a movie that, like, when you when you finally see it, it's gonna be like, I needed this movie in my life. Um, it's fucking great. Um, I can't say anything more than that, other than like, I don't want to ruin it because, okay, so like this movie is like so it permeated my life that it's a movie that I constantly think about. Uh, it's something that. I don't think I've ever talked about this, but I write a lot of like short stories and novellas and stuff like that. I don't ever like show them to people. It's just, it's just a creative like kind of kink that I have this movie. Like since the, like I've read the book and watched the movie. Um, it's permeated my, my brain in a way that I'm always constantly thinking about it when I'm writing, because it does the things that I love about writing so much, which is it compiles issue upon issue, but it uses that as narrative plot points to move forward. And it's so influenced me in my writing of like content, like my creative writing that like, I can't even tell, like, I can't tell you like, and it's not a movie. Like I said, it's not a movie that my, like my 
dad introduced me to. It was literally a movie I found on my own. Like, I think it was maybe a podcast that was talking about it once. Um, about I think it was like 2014 or 2015 when I first ran into it. And it's just been a movie that I, I love. You, you'll occasionally see me post screen grabs from it on social media because it's, and I won't say anything other than just posting it. And the people, like it is a true handshake movie to me because it's something that people don't realize, don't know exists. But if you're a fan of this fucking movie, you are a fan of this movie, you know this movie and you're like, oh, you're one of these guys. You're the cool, you're, you're one of the uncool because you know this fucking movie. Um, and it wasn't a huge hit when it came out. It really yeah, wasn't. It, uh, apparently, yeah, it didn't make, didn't even make back, uh, it's money for, uh, production, let alone, no. uh, anything else. So, um, yeah. yeah, I was just reading some, some trivia about it. Uh, apparently it started out, uh, as, uh, one of his, uh, uh, Parker novels, I yeah. guess. And yep. he he said it just kept turning funny, so he he just turned it into a whole new thing. So that's and that's interesting. It's it is it is super funny. Like you read the book, and it's very different, but it keeps the same structure and skeleton. It's just what's funny for a film isn't necessarily what's funny for a movie, right? Yeah. But they both are funny in their way. Um, I don't know if you can find it because it took me three years, um, going through used bookstores to finally find it. And when I found it, um, it cost me 25 cents. It was a nickel or it was a quarter. It was in a bin, um, with like other paperbacks and stuff that said might be missing pages. Yeah. Yeah. It said might be missing pages. And I was like, fuck it. And it wasn't, it didn't miss any pages. It had a couple of pages because it was from like the the 70s or 80s it had a couple of pages that were folded like folded yeah. in so there, there was like heavy creases but i mean, I mean that's the that's the point of buying old books like exactly the character um yeah, yeah like like my fate like i think my favorite part is ron lieberman because i know him so much as rachel's father yeah and friends but to see him play this wheel man, like this kind of con man when he's in like in his like literally he's in his like late 20s, early 30s um, and have him bounce off. Of, like, I think that the movie, what I love about it is the way that all of these characters bounce off of one another, including the way that they they bounce off of Brad Pitt or um, sorry, Robert Redford. I was going to make an analogy, which is, is that this movie feels a lot like the way that. I feel like bullet train works for, for Brad Pitt. This movie works for Robert Redford in the same way where it gives him a cast of people that you don't necessarily think he's like, don't feel like he's the right fit in their work in his world or their world. Right. Like, like that's the fun of it is that the way that he works with George Siegel, who's very different of a performer than he is. And the way that he, well, like, he works off of Zero Mostal in the movie is is gold. It's like they got it right. They understood the assignment and it just comes off beautifully. And like the, the last final moments of this movie are, I don't know, man, they're just some of the best. It's like some of the best, purest form of cinema. 
and like deserved like joy that you're gonna see uh when you see it you go fuck how did this movie not make like how like i always constantly think of it i was like how did this movie not make butch San, uh, butch cassidy and sundance kid money and it's because he didn't have newman but it like it almost feels like newman could have been the seagull character but it doesn't i don't know if it works as well if you don't have george siegel because i'm a huge george siegel fan um fun with dick and jane is a great movie uh but yeah the hot rock the hot rock yeah another one that i have to add to my my list to watch i might actually i might actually have to put it on my plex and give it to you because i don't know if it's available like it's one of those movies that it's a fox movie so it's not I don't know how yeah. readily available it is to stream. I'll look for you because it's definitely worth it. Your number two. Your number well, two. at one point in time, my number two favorite film of all time was the biggest film of all time. So mm. rather okay. boring choice, but I saw it, it's the movie I saw the most time paid to see the most time in theaters up until I tied that with the Brothers Bloom, and that's Jurassic Park. Nice. Uh, okay, so, like, can we talk about how brilliant the first movie is? Like, I, it's, I understand, because it's brilliant, right? Like, like even watching it now, how it's constructed and how different it is as, as an adaptation is fucking brilliant. Like, it is, it is a masterwork of Spielberg at his height of his powers after he made such a misstep with hook like he comes back with this movie that is everything that hook is supposed to be right yeah but it's not um yeah hook is a movie that i desperately i loved as a kid and i desperately want to love as an adult but anytime i've tried to revisit it i'm just like i don't know man like it's better hook is one of those movies that's better in your memory like it, it really it, is it as a as a young kid i thought it was great and it just needs to stay there because it, it really is not uh what it should have been but jurassic park um continues to it's in theaters right now as we're recording this yes (laughs) the 3d version not the i was gonna go see it and i was like man i don't want to see the 3d version um also also, it's got a lego thing coming out on peacock fairly soon that i showed you that i'm like oh that's gonna be interesting so yeah despite the the very uh uneven sequels um yes. very uneven <laughs> um uh I, I don't know man i i saw i saw jurassic park seven times in the theater the the year it was released which was not an easy feat for a 15 year old dude seriously like how did you convince your parents to go see it 15 so, or seven times i the first time i saw it was it might not have been opening weekend, but it, you know, it was a summer okay. movie. It opened, we were in Florida with my aunt and uncle and my parents were divorced by then. So okay. it was probably raining and huh. 
you know, you're in you're in Florida at the beach and it's raining. There's nothing to do. And when you no. have children, it's like, oh God, they like that we don't have an indoor pool. Like, you know, it, it, what are we going to do with these kids so that they do not drive us insane? Because it's it's literally like twelve people stuffed in uh like a like a giant hotel room like a suite or something yeah yeah like and uh or or like it has a master a master room and it has all the the hotel rooms like the other of course all the kids are sleeping on the floor in the the living room um so i forget what there were three movies that were decided on the Mm -hmm. adults and a couple of the older kids went to go see something, some drama. Okay. And I cannot remember what it is. I'd have to look and see what was out at that time. Was a few good men out at the same time? No, 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 no. We're talking okay. summer 93. Yeah. Uh, let me see here. Um, I can tell you because let's see. Okay. So you've got in the line of fire that would have been out. Might've uh, been that. Need, uh, needful things would have been out around that time. Um, oh, let's see here. No, they wouldn't have got Coneheads, Joy Luck Club. No, probably um, would have been in the line of fire because my my mom was not going to see Jurassic Park, and the yeah. other movie, the very very kid friendly movie, I'm almost certain was Rookie of the Year. Yes, yes, which Rookie is of the, the, year the was out the kid with the like messed up arm. Who could throw mm-hmm. the ball like 130 miles an hour? Mm-hmm. Very silly and stupid. And um, actually, actually, you know what it probably was? It might have been um, the fugitive. Okay. Yeah, I'm. I'm gonna say it, it was one of the two. Either, the fugitive yeah, or in the line or of fire. in the line or the firm. The firm was. Damn, there was some fucking. Yeah, it was ago, a good. Man. It was a good. Ninety ninety three was a good yeah. year. Um. <laughs> Uh, so it, it would have been one of those, like, yeah. so the little, little kids and my uncle went to go see rookie of the year. Okay. Um, my brother and my mom and probably my aunt and, uh, maybe one of the other older kids went to go see whatever the drama was. Okay. Me, my cousin BJ and my sister Blake. We're going to go see Jurassic Park. And they were like, you sure? I was like, I want to see this movie. And like, I think Blake just didn't want to go see anything else. But like, we had so much. Like, I, I've always loved movies, but like movies were a small screen thing for me. Like, my my dad couldn't afford to take us to go see a lot of movies because not only were there the four of us but he also had two kids from his second marriage so it's hard to take six kids to go to the movies man um so we watched uh, we've talked about it we watched a lot on video uh my mom really didn't have any interest in going to the movies so it wasn't until i was in high school really that I got to go to the movies all the time. And that was if my friends were going to the movies and they would give me a ride. Um, so I didn't get to go see a ton of movies in the theater all the time. 
So Jurassic Park was a rare thing. Um, but that was the movie where I was like, oh, shit. There's something to seeing a movie in a theater. Yeah. That's where I understood the theatrical experience. And the scene where they arrive at the park is still absolutely breathtaking to me. And was yeah. not surprised to learn decades later that George Lucas saw that movie, saw that scene and was like, yeah, I, okay, I think I can do more Star Wars. Like, yeah, it's because... literally the scene that made the guy that made Star Wars go, oh, shit, we can do this. Like, you could almost imagine him having the Jeff Goldblum line. You crazy yeah. son of a bitch, you did it. You did it. You took my company and you started what, what James, like, it's kind of weird how it hands off, right? Like, James Cameron starts it with the abyss. Then... Spielberg takes it and morphs it into like you know, like the abyss and T2. Then then Spielberg runs with it because it's already the foundation that Lucas or that's that Cameron creates. He runs with it to only have the creator, aka George Lucas, take it and basically again with the special editions, literally change the way that we work, like the dry run. Ultimately, I don't think that the people really understand how much like the special editions started this like what Jurassic Park began like like permeated the special editions basically fully went into because without them we don't get that leap forward right like yeah. it's kind of weird uh, Cameron Lucas or Cameron Spielberg Lucas like it you know father son Holy Ghost um. But I feel like what people miss about Jurassic Park is just how and like how perfectly executed a movie it is and and how it works like a like clockwork. Like it, it's like a Swiss clockwork because it's perfectly constructed. Everything is designed to make those effects work, but it never feels like it. You never see the wizard behind the curtain because yeah. when you first watch it, it's this brilliant ride. It's a tour. Yeah, it, it is it is a a theme park ride. Like it, it yeah. it's so brilliantly crafted. It's so brilliant brilliantly crafted that even the little mistakes that are in the movie, like, don't even matter, you know? No. Like it, they don't. It, it's it, the the one that everybody always points out, and yes, every time I watch it now it does get a little like, yeah, that doesn't make a lot of sense, is how the T-Rex cage is ground level, but then when things go sideways, suddenly there's... Everything's a drop. Yeah, yeah. it's a drop-off. Like, it doesn't make a whole yeah. lot of sense. Um, but it, it's so brilliantly executed that, like, it just, it doesn't matter, you know? Like, Spielberg addresses the kids in the film. Like... Literally, there's a character who's like, I don't want these kids here. I wish they would go away. They're annoying. <laughs> like, but Spielberg <laughs> knows, and um, maybe it's part of the book. I don't know. I didn't read the books. But uh, he does know that, like, you got to have the kids in there because that's, 
you need those characters for the kids to relate to. And, Mm -hmm. you know, as I've gotten older, yes, more and more I relate to Dr. Alan Grant, you know, but uh, it's just, it's such a damn near perfect movie. Mm -hmm. Um, I I, I don't know. I love it. I love every second of it. And it still holds up. Like, you know, I, 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 I don't know. I wish the 3D version wasn't the only version playing in the theater. Because um, okay. I, I, this is a movie that I'm like, I don't know why they don't just put Jurassic Park in the theater for like two weeks every year. Because I would go see it every year. Because it's just so much fun. Like, it's it just really so damn good. You know? Mm-hmm. And all of the sequels have flashes of that same brilliance. But... None of them have the beginning to end thing that the first oh. Jurassic Park has. Like, it, you know, and and you don't you just end on them leaving in a helicopter. You know, it, it it's just it's so damn good. Um, yeah. No, I I totally agree with you. I literally agree with you on this. It's it's. It still remains as one of the best blockbusters ever made. Like, like you know, and it works perfectly as a companion piece to Spielberg's Jaws. Like, and it like like it almost like it's weird because, like you know, he never learned lessons from Jaws the sequels, like in the Jurassic Park sequels, even though he's involved with them. Like, because they kind of, they, they literally, they literally do the same fucking thing, including like, you know, a theme park. And yeah. I the, mean, like <laughs> Dennis Quaid. Chris I saw Pratt. Jurassic World and I'm like, they just made Jaws 3. <laughs> like, what yeah. the fuck are they doing? <laughs> including, including the Bryce Dallas Howard, Howard character along yeah. with the Chris Pratt character. All uh like Dennis Quaid and I can't think of the lady's name uh, that's in Jaws 3D. Um and like you know randomly I think Louis does Louis Gossett Jr. show up in in Jaws 3D? I'm pretty sure he's in. Yes, he does. 3D. Bess Armstrong. It's Bess Armstrong that plays the that plays the um, Bryce Dallas Howard character. Um, so but yeah, like it's oh, man, like that one is a. Like when I remember seeing it, like seeing Jurassic World and going, yeah, they just did Jurassic Park or they just did Jaws 3D. But it is like its original form. It's pure, un- unadulterated, mainline, purely uncut version of this series along with Jaws. Like it's the perfect double feature counterpoint of a young director in his 20s and a master in his 50s. Like, yeah. literally, that's what it is. It's like, it's the counterpoint, like, you know, and uh, yeah, man, that's a hell of a, that's, it's a hell of a movie. And the older I get, the more I appreciate it. I don't know if I appreciated it as much when I first watched it, like the mechanics of it, of course. Like, I loved the movie. Like, who didn't love that movie? Who didn't love watching the T-Rex scene, um, the middle T-Rex scene, which is one of the best, like, action sequences I mean, ever yeah. put to film? Uh, I and and it's got the stupid corny one-liners, you know, like mm-hmm. the what's his name, the lawyer running is like, yeah, when you yeah. gotta go, you gotta go. Um, yep. you know, like it, it's, I don't know, it, it's everything, man. I, I mean, but then there's just these tiny moments, uh, like 
John Hammond telling the story about the flea circus is so heartbreaking, you know, it's like, you know, but they weren't there, but I I was going to make something that wasn't a trick, like that wasn't fake, Mm -hmm. that kids were going to get to see, you know, and I started with the best of intentions and it's just, it's gone horribly, horribly wrong. And yeah, it's, it's just so good. You know, it's so damn good. Um, you know. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, it's, it's a mighty, mighty mountain to climb, um, for like, and nobody actually thinks about this. Like, I'm going to leave. I'm going to make my final statements because the way that it was, the way that it was advertised is the final time that it was, that is something that was ever advertised like this. We saw one shot, the T-Rex screaming mm-hmm. in front, like with that, that beautiful shot of, of, of Sam Neill in like in the foreground and the, the T-Rex in the background screaming while being lit by that tort uh, by the by the flare like that's all we saw that was the t- that was the teaser that was the trailer until we got into the theater like and they sold us on you're going to believe 65 million le- years later dinosaurs are lo- alive and Steven Spielberg put respect on that goddamn name like literally it was like this is this is you know you you may have like you may have thought that Spielberg was wrong because of Hook and Always, though I love Always. Um, don't forget his name. This is him coming back, going, "Fuck you, fuck you, fuck you." Yeah. I can make a blockbuster. I can still make this. Yes, and then I'm gonna do. I'm gonna double down on you. And six months later, I'm going to release the most heartbreaking, harrowing yeah. three-hour movie that you will ever see in your life in Schindler's List, and ruled the box office and won the Oscars. I mean, yeah, like '93 was a was it was was like his like I think that's it might be his like as the Ringerverse likes to say Apex Mountain. I think that Spielberg Spielberg's '93 you don't get any better than that, right? Like like that's the career that everybody that's the those moments that you never happen. Yeah, I mean, there's plenty of people that have released multiple films in a year, but who the fuck can ever say they released Schindler's List and Jurassic Park in the same year? No one. Not even I mean, Spielberg. Spielberg has tried to do it. You remember he did it in '97 when he yep. released uh, Amistad and The Lost World, and neither of them worked very well. Nope. Um, uh, he did it again with uh, was War Horse a duplicate? Um, it might have been. Um, so, I know he's done it like four times in his career. time. Yeah. Yeah. I know that much. I just don't remember which, uh, uh, which, which are the, the two movie years. Um, damn, I can never remember, but yeah, no, 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 no. You're absolutely right. Like, like, um, it was like, it, but it was never, it was never as good as it was that year. Like, like, realistically, like, like, it's like, you look at that and you go, Jesus, like that, like, how do you do that? Like, I don't, like, how do you make two films, right? Like, like two films, I, I can, 
Like, I can't understand. Yeah, Warhorse and Tintin, 2011. Okay. 2011, yeah. Okay, so like, and Munich and War of the Worlds in 2005, which is which close, but yeah, it's not. It's not. It's it's like, it's close, but no. not by like, a, not by a little. It, it's just a like mon- you kind of almost got there. <laughs> yeah, well, it's the same as 2002, where he does Minority Report and Catch Me If You Can. Catch Me If You Can, which is also. Yeah. That one is really, really close. <laughs> yeah, that is actually really close. Those two are really fucking great. But again, it's not it's it's not Apex Mountain. It's not like like nobody has done that. Like nobody and I don't think that anybody will. Like I don't think that they have like that's where Spielberg became Spielberg. Like I don't think that people really understand that he was Spielberg, but he wasn't the legend. He wasn't the goat. Like, I think that year solidified it. It was like, okay, I think we all can agree. Spielberg is is the man. And literally, he took four years off because yeah. that's how big of a hill that was. And then he basically tried to re-emulate it by doing, and we found out in 97, yeah, the that boat movie that he was doing was not the boat movie that was going to win the Oscars. Yep. So, um, yeah, so yeah, Indiana Jones and Last Cru- Crusade and Always in 1989. That nine, was his yep. first double. 93 is Jurassic Park and Schindler's List. 97, Lost World and Amistad. And then 2000. Uh, two, 2000. Uh, yep. Minority Report, Catch Me If You Can. 2005, Munich and War of the Worlds. And then 2011, War Horse and 1010. That's fucking uh, hell, and, and he's just been. I mean, and he's still. Yeah, doing. yeah. I mean, some of those are not great double bills for a year, but still, to have done that that many times is yeah. really fucking something. So, um, but yeah, I, I'm with you. I don't. Yeah, the apex of it has to be Jurassic Park and Schindler's List, if only because those movies have stood the test of time we are here this many decades later and i mean it's really like there's a lot of great blockbusters but i i don't know if one will ever beat jurassic park for me just because like it's not fucking three hours long it's not nope. like there's not parts of it where you're just like, eh, I don't really like if I sit down and watch Jurassic Park, I'm watching Jurassic Park, man. You know? Yep. Yeah. No, no, you're absolutely right. Like it's it really is. It's it's the blockbuster to end all blockbusters, I feel like. Um, and you had to be there like you just had to be there in 93. Like kids grew up with it, but they didn't understand before and after. Like, even as a 15-year-old, because I was 15 at the time, like, it still hit me, and it hit me hard. Like, you know, um, because you've never seen anything like it, like, at all. And I will make a, I will make a statement. I don't think we have, we have not, until, and here we go again, Spielberg, Cameron, Lucas, until Avatar, I had not seen anything that made me drop my jaw and have a mm-hmm. sense of awe and wonder, and it had the way Jurassic again Park until... did. Yeah. Yep. I completely um, agree. Completely you know? agree. Uh, like I, I, 
it's it's yeah it's just one of those things where it's like the emotions of the characters on screen are the emotions that you're feeling while you're watching this movie yes. and it's not a it's it's not anything that feels like the movie's maliciously doing like any kind of heart wrenching like oh we're going to kill the dog so everybody cries nothing like yeah. that it's just no. like no like alan grant feels the way you would feel and when you see those dinosaurs you feel the way alan grant feels you're like holy yeah. shit they have fucking dinosaurs like you know it, it it was a smaller equivalent is like the hoverboard in back to the future too where as a kid you were just like there's hoverboards there's hoverboards mm -hmm. like i saw it in the movie that's the thing like that's not fake that's real you know no, no absolutely 100 percent. like like yeah the well and then what gets me is it's not just sam neill's reaction and laura dern's it's you have to have Jeff Goldblum there because if Jeff Goldblum's not there and he doesn't say, you crazy son of a bitch, you did it. And yeah. the look of like, oh man, I thought I was a fucking, I thought I was, I, I thought I was awesome. Yeah. But this is awesomer than I am. Like, and the way that Goldblum plays it, it's the bow on top of the Alan Grant or the Sam Neill, Laura Dern um, reactions. And like, you know, Spielberg, like, and it's funny because it's the most Spielbergian thing of all, because if anything, we are always like Spielberg, like the Spielberg touch is always the reactions of his actors to things that we haven't seen just yet. Like, that's like, like, think about it. Like, what is Spielberg's like defining quality is that that moment where he moves in slowly on, on a face and it's a face of wonderment and we haven't seen exactly what we're going to see yet because we're more it's the precedent is put on the person rather than the event and then when he flips it you know spielberg is is a great filmmaker because that reaction is earned by what he shows you and that's the spielberg touch and no one else does that better than him like he knows the right actor to cast he knows exactly what they're going to do how to do it how to shoot it um and how to edit it, how Johnny Williams is going to come in and kill it for those I scores. Mean, I mean, like, one of the greatest scores of all time. Yeah. And, uh, and referenced by, by King Kong. Like, it basically took some of the King Kongness of the original, the Franz Waxman score of from and gave it the Johnny Williams treatment, right? Yeah. Do, do, do. I mean, how many people do we, like, every kid knows that goddamn thing, right? Like, everybody knows that. Do, yeah. do, 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 Um, it's iconic. Like it's like neck, uh, you know, bow to stern. It's 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 a banger. And it, like you know, I can understand why it's one of your favorites. All right. So number one, number one time. <sighs> all right. It's also my like I said. It's also like what I consider the best film of all time. Um, <laughs> and if you if you know me. And you don't know this, it makes complete sense. Um, it's Akira Kurosawa's The Seven Samurai. Yeah. Um, I've never seen a movie more that has more humanity, that has more understanding of human nature, and is wrapped in a package that's four hours long with an intermission, but feels like goes by at 
lightning speed. Um, I don't watch it often because when I want to watch it, I want to fully engage with it. There's never been a screening. It's okay. So weird thing is that like my two, like the movie that comes in and replaces it occasionally is a movie that I don't like that. I've, that I like it, it runs in contention with the number of times that I've seen it being the least amount because it requires certain conditions for me to see it, which is Lawrence of Arabia. Um, these two films oftentimes kind of compete with one another, but in recent memory, seven samurai has like, has been the movie because if I look at things, I mean, I saw it at a very early age because part of my life is, was as a Japanese kid. Uh, so I got to see a lot of these Japanese samurai movies. Um, and of course my, my grandfather, like, and my grandmother would never let one of their, like, you know, one of their grandchildren not see this before he saw any Western or anything, because that's, you know, they wanted the, in our household, Corsair was like Lucas or was like Spielberg. Like he was a guy that they followed because he was still alive making movies. I saw yeah. Ron in the theater. I saw Ron in 1980 as a two-year-old. I saw that in the theater because my parents took me because they didn't have a babysitter. I don't remember it or 83. I don't remember, but I've seen, I saw every single one of his movies in the theater because it was an event for my family. But this one is special above everything else. Like it's a movie that I feel like much like Jurassic Park, it is so influential that I don't think that people understand that it's influential. Um, uh, I mean, I don't even need to tell you the story, and I'm not going to because if you've not seen it, I don't. I it's it's literally like every western, but it's not done like every western. It's a samurai film, but it has so much humanity. It has so many like. At first, I used to love the samurais, right? Like the first part of it, like watching them, watching them collect the samurais to help this village. I mean, shit, they did it in Three Amigos. I mean, I, uh, yeah, like, which which was just a riff on uh, the Magnificent Seven, Magnificent which Seven. was definitely a. Well, here's what I love about American westerns as a film genre. Yeah, is that at some point we took the old west and not saying that those things weren't there but like yeah it's like the greek and roman gods where it's just like you look at the other ones and go oh like their shit makes way more sense and is way more noble than our stuff we're just gonna borrow all of their stuff and rename it like that's exactly what american westerns did we're like oh shit all these samurai flicks they have like uh, they have dudes that aren't noble but they they have these like noble like people doing noble things and we're just gonna borrow all of that and then call them cowboys (laughs) (laughs) hired guns and what i love is that as i've gotten older it's the humanity of everything i enjoy it's much like real bravo it's a hangout film and it's, but it's not done in a relax. Like, I think that what gets mistaken is, is that Rio Bravo is a hangout film, but there's a force to the storytelling. And it's the same with The Seven Samurai, is that it's a hangout movie and you get to see these people exist, but it's always moving. It's always pushing. And I love the humanity of it. It's like a very, like, people-centric movie. It, it and that, which all builds up to the final climactic battle, which lasts, like, 
45 minutes, but you've been given so much information about the people that you're the, the, not only the samurai, but the people that are the townspeople that are working with the samurai, the geography of the town, um, the stakes, the people and each one of them, what their specific job is, but it's all done beautifully in the script throughout the entire film that by the time that the, that, that the war starts, there's very little dialogue. It's all editing. It's all sound and fury, but you know exactly what's happening, exactly what's happening and what the stakes are. And so when you lose somebody, you don't necessarily have any kind of words, but you can feel it throughout the entire film and, or like the entire last 45 minutes. And it's just the older I get, the more I gravitate towards this movie. The is just this, it's an action movie, but at its core, it's a movie about people, the folly of people, the goodness of people and the mixture of both. Like you can be a good person and still have faults and still have ego. But at the end of the day, as long as you are, consistently good that's what life is about right yeah. it's, it's it's about doing good and putting good out there and no matter the cost to you and no matter what like at the end of the day what i love about at the end of seven samurai is is that the townspeople never trusted the samurais even though they gave up all like they were good to their word they didn't they they worked for a bowl of rice a day and and they sacrificed their lives and at the end of the day, you find out that all these townspeople were hoarding money, were hoarding their women because they were afraid that the samurai were going to rape them, um, hiding kids, hiding all of the things that made a town a town. They were hiding them because they were always worried that the samurais were going to do something bad. And even though the samurais had never, the, these samurais never gave them the indication of that. And... That is so human. That is so kind of life affirming because yeah. that's what would happen, you know? And I don't know, like, it's just, it's one of those films. It's purely a pure, it, it's like, like purely cinematic to me. It's, it feels like it's black and white. It's action. It's more than action. It's big. It's overwhelming at times. Um, yeah. I don't think it, I don't think so. cinema is like that's the apex mountain for me is that like it's favorite it's it's weird because it's like my favorite film but it's also like i will argue with anybody that it is the best movie ever made i mean it's um, definitely widely considered one of the best films ever made yeah. like in in almost any circle so yeah. um maybe not imdb but you know, <laughs> yeah they well, think the I dark mean, knight is the greatest film of all time so let's not even start with that <laughs> um but with that what is your favorite film? I'm, I'm very... Well, curious. my favorite film also ranks pretty high on the IMDb list. <laughs> so, um, I, I mean, I've never been shy since, the, like, the first time I saw it. Uh, Shawshank Redemption has been uh, my favorite film ever made. Uh, I've seen it, I don't even know how many times at this point. Um I I could probably never watch it again for the rest of my life and still like just like close my eyes and just watch the movie from beginning to end. Um I I don't know that there's much to say about it because a lot of people 
have this high on their list. A lot of people think it's one of, if not the greatest film of all time. Um, I also happen to really, really love the uh, novella that it's based on, but I'm a big Stephen yep. King guy. Um, I, I I just, I think it's, it's a perfect movie. It's a movie that I extremely, like, I relate to on such a level of, like, yeah, there there's the scene where uh Andy and Red are talking and he's he's like I I didn't kill my wife but I definitely deserve to be here. Mm-hmm. And him like coming to terms with that and like you know it it's before I even knew what the hell karma was um it's me understanding the concept of karma that like, you know, he didn't kill his wife, but he wasn't a good guy. And, but also not being a good guy doesn't mean you deserve to be in prison the rest of your life for something you didn't do. And, and like having to take your, you know, your destiny like dealing with that the hand that you were dealt but also going yeah i don't want this and fighting out your way out of it you know it, it, it's just there's so much about it that resonates on so many levels also clancy brown is in this movie too um <laughs> <laughs> which is great yeah he's um, so good as the guard um but uh, I mean, yeah, I just I I love this movie. Like, you know, I, there was a a good chunk of years where uh, we didn't have streaming services, and it was just you know cable TV, and it was mm-hmm. always on some channel or another. And I, you know, I would always just watch it from where I started. You know, like where wherever it was in the movie, I would just sit down and watch it, and um, I've I've owned it on so many different VHS and <laughs> DVD and special edition and Blu-ray and like yeah, just so many versions of the movie. Um, you know, I, I, it, it feels weird to just shrug my shoulders and go, I don't really have much else to say about it, but like, what do you, what do you say? Like, there's so many people that talk about this movie. I, there's nothing I can add to it other than like, it just resonates with me. I completely understand that. Like, it's, I saw it in theaters. Um, it blew me away. It still continues to blow me away. Like, as a, as a movie that, like, we talk about humanity, right? Like, like, I know that I can come off as a very cynical man. I do often. Um, so it's very kind of interesting that, like, you know, my top movie, two of my top favorite movies, like, that switched, like, and I didn't even mention, like, you know, like, like I said, Lawrence of Arabia, are about, like, the folly of man, but the humanity and what humanity means. And, it, and it's very, like, Shawshank comes from that very similar thing of, like, what is humanity? What does it mean to be a human? What does it mean to be a man or a woman or a being on this earth? Um, especially when things are taken away from you, right? Um, and I don't know, like, like it's the perfect confluence, like, of material, director, acting, cinematography, um, the music, uh, the Thomas Newman score is beautiful. Um, 
it just it it's this movie that it makes complete sense like the wizard of oz it makes hardly any money um it makes money but it doesn't make a lot of money but then it becomes the most one of the most important films of the mid 90s and continues to grow like so much so that like it's it's along with the wizard of oz one of those films that just feel like it's organically been fused into our brains to accept as this is like when somebody says this is my favorite film that makes sense because yeah. like like the way that it like very much so like wizard of oz took over televisions right like I remember there was a point in the mid 2000s, mid to late 2000s, where you could turn on TNT, TBS, WGN, AMC. Mm-hmm. It was always on. It was on. And, you know, part of me, so very much like we've all been there. There's this band that you find and you, you're like, holy shit, they're incredible. And you're listening to them and nobody, everybody thinks you're stupid when you talk about it. Or they're just like, yeah, whatever. And just shrugs their shoulders. Nobody wants to listen to them with you. You know, like, that's where I would Shawshank, like, for the longest time. No, nobody, I would talk about this movie and they'd be like, okay, yeah, whatever. Like, it, it was nominated for, like, a couple of awards. Um, but it did not make the splash until it hit that that constantly run on cable. And then a lot of people were like, holy shit, this is an incredible movie. And I'm like... Yeah, I've, been, I've been saying that for like a couple of years, um, but nobody wanted to listen to me. So, um, you know, part of you wants to be like, fuck you. Like, <laughs> you don't all you you don't all get to claim that you like this band now because yes. like now suddenly you all realize how great they are. And a year and a half ago, I was like. These guys are really good. Ryan used to do that all the time. He'd he'd make me listen to music when we worked together. And I'd be like, yeah, that's pretty good, man. And then like a year and a half later, everybody would be talking about it happened (laughs) with Imagine Dragons. It happened with Maroon 5. It happened with this uh, band called Rehab who had a moderate hit with this uh, like uh, drinking song. Um, Like Hmm, it it would happen to him because he was always on the lookout for something new to listen to um goody mob was a big one like he ah. would talk about the damn goody mob forever and i'd be like whatever dude he's like i'm telling you man atlanta rap atlanta rap atlanta and i'm like yeah whatever and then all of a sudden it's just like holy shit atlanta's the new hip-hop scene um like, <laughs> he was <laughs> always on that um and i i kind of feel like i i hit that a little bit with cinema probably more with television than anything um but yeah, it, it gets so now it's to the point like when I tell people Shawshank is my favorite movie, like you were saying, like it's a lot of people's favorite movie. But you know, much like oh, like oh, you really like Deadpool? It's like yeah, but here's the thing: I like Deadpool when his total comic book appearances amounted to like uh, twelve issues, not yeah. <laughs> not X-Force and and New yeah. Mutants ninety eight. <laughs> yeah, that was it. Like he was in like ten issues of X Force and two issues of New Mutants, and that was it. Um, like it, it was not what it is now. So now, like it's easy for people to just be like, oh yeah, I mean everybody likes Deadpool. Like everybody likes Shawshank. Like yeah, I I get it, but like. 
the first time I saw Shawshank was when it aired on Showtime because I didn't get to see it in the theater. Um, it came out in 94. I was 15. I didn't get to see it till it hit Showtime, which probably puts me seeing it closer to when I was 16. Yeah, 96 or so. Like, yeah. it would have been... 16, been almost 17. So, because... because that those windows were much larger back then. Much yep. And it would have been, yeah. They they aired like um some bonus footage after it, like uh, some cut scenes after it, and yeah, like I recorded it on Showtime and I watched that videotape endlessly. Um, so yeah, like it it. It gets a little frustrating, but I mean, it is what it is. Like, I'm glad everybody appreciates that movie. I I will plant a flag and go, there's not as many people who appreciate it the way that I appreciate it. You know, like it, yeah. it is, it means something to me beyond just like, oh, it's a good cinematic watch. Like, no, 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 no. Like, I was going through some shit when I saw this movie for the first time. And I was like, oh, I think I get it now. You know, I I, I did not. You know, it, it reframed the way I looked at my life, you know. And Damn. so, yeah, it's not just that, like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah it's a great movie. No, no, no. Citizen Kane is a great movie. Citizen Kane yeah. did not make me rethink the way I was going to live my life. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean that's that that is like what you want from a from a from a favorite film. Like like your absolute favorite, like something that recontextualizes your like your yeah. worldview. And, and, and honestly, I think all five of these movies did that in some form or fashion for me mm-hmm. at the time in my life that I watched them. I was like, Oh, okay. Like I see uh, Jurassic park, maybe less just more in a like, Oh fuck. I understand now why people are like the theater, <laughs> you know, the yeah. cinema, like I understand it now. Uh, and maybe that's not as big, you know, as like, oh, I'm going to rechange my whole life. But like it, it did set me on a path of like, oh, shit, you have to see stuff in the theater, man. Yeah. <laughs> like, which you is, have it's to. A change in your life. It, it is a change in your life. Like you're like a point of view change is always that. Right. So I can. But I, I would say that it it, it changed your life. Like, absolutely. A hundred percent. Um. Man, this is a great talk, dude. Yeah, like, I mean, seriously. we've run longer than we've run in a while. Um, yeah. Do you have any that you're like, ah, I kind of want to include? I only have one that I want to mention, um, but I'm curious if you have any. Um, No, not really. I mean, like, the only one that I would say, and it's more of my punk rock nature, is The Warriors. Like, I fucking love The Warriors, man. Yeah. It's, it's arguably one of my favorite, like, like there's so much to be said about that movie and what it says about like youth culture and stuff. But, um, it's one of, it's one of my fucking favorites. Like I've seen it in the theater, like, like seven or eight times. Like, and that's a movie that came out in like 1980, right. Yeah. Um, or 1979. It was actually the year you were born, 1979. Um, 
that would be the only one because it's just it's such a punk rock movie. Like I I'm a I'm a kid that grew up with I mean we grew up with the second era of punk rock, right? Green yeah. Day, uh, Offspring, and so like I saw that around that time on TBS really late at night, super cut. And I'd never heard of it before because it wasn't in circulation. I had to find a VHS copy that was terrible the first, the second time I saw it uncut. But man, that hooked me. The Baseball Furies. I mean, just every Warriors come out and play. Like before it was a big thing. It was something that I saw in the mid 90s. And it just turned into this thing with our friend, like my friends. It was one of those movies that we passed around was like, fucking you need to see this fucking movie. And then we just started quoting it. Like David Patrick Kelly's role is like we started quoting his stupidity because it was hilarious to us um you know and also again james remar who like you you watch that shit now and you go wow that's wildly inappropriate but um yeah it's just one of those that that's kind of always circling in my favorites but that would be the only thing that i would probably say <coughs> you um so the only one i would mention is a movie that uh I, you can order. You'd have to uh, to go online and Google it. Um, it it's called Down and Yonder. Uh, it is made by uh, a guy that I know, uh, Chris Flippo. Um, you'll you might see his name every now and then on some Disney slash Marvel credits. Um, he's a, a local area filmmaker. He made a film with uh, some friends of his about life in the south and it's about this guy who uh you know he's lived his whole life in this small ass southern town and you know he meets a girl and it inspires him to think beyond this little ass town and doing a nothing menial job just so that he can go drink with his best buddy on a Friday night and get up and just do it all over again. Um, he meets a girl. She's from a big, bigger city. I don't want to say Chicago. Um, and she's there for the summer cause like her grandmother's sick. And, um, and this is not like a, a 16 year old. This is like somebody in his late twenties, you know, like mm -hmm. very, uh, you know, uh, arrested development kind of thing. And he expresses, you know, the, 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 the desire. He's like, I, you know, I think I want to go. And his buddy, uh, who they call sugar baby, um, is like, it, that's stupid, man. It's stupid. Like you always talk about how much you hate it here and you want to leave, but you're never going to do anything. And they get into this fight. It, it kind of dissolves their friendship. Um, and, and it's about kind of sort of the reconciliation of that. And uh, it's, it's a movie made by people from the South about the South. Um, and we've talked about this before. Um, yes. and, and actually, it's really funny because I just listened to Devendra Hardwar on uh, the film cast. He lives in Atlanta and he was talking about how when he tells people he lives in Atlanta or in the South, they're like, why? Why? Yeah. And he's like, it gets so much disrespect from so like, does it have terrible parts? Are there terrible people here? Yeah, 
There's terrible people in the Northeast. There's terrible people out in California. There's terrible people in Texas. There's terrible people everywhere. Everybody that lives in a section of the country can tell you, like, yeah, um, but he's like, in the South, it, it it's just, like, yes, those people are there, and, you know, but a lot of times it's just people doing what they got to do to get by, and, you know, sometimes they can't get out of their own way, and, yeah. you know, if you have never been there then it's hard to understand it. It's why a show, it's funny because they, they brought it up talking about uh, Danny McBride and uh, like all, Jones. yeah, Righteous Jim. Or Jones. it's just his, his whole filmography. Basically. Yeah. So, um, you know, he's from the South. He's from the Carolinas. Yeah. He gets it. He knows, you know, it's like, it's not as simple as like, oh, these are dumb podunk Southerners. It ain't that simple, man. Like, you might think that, but they're a lot fucking smarter than you think they are. Sometimes they just can't get out of their own way. And sometimes they just don't have the opportunity to get out of their own way. Um, but, yeah, th this is that kind of movie. It's it's not big. It's not action. It's not, you know, it, it's it's people. It's a very Kevin Smithy kind of like people talking kind of movie. Um it used to be available on YouTube for free. Uh, mm -hmm. uh, Syndicate Productions is the company spelled C-I-N Syndicate, um, yes. like cinema. Um, uh, they've got a couple of movies. They're really good. Their shorts are really good. Um, I have the Blu-ray. I know you can order it from their website. Um, you know, it, it's I, I don't I've seen it 10 times. And Damn. like every time Damn. it just, it, it really, it was almost my number five choice, but like, uh, almost famous, man. <laughs> Seriously, dude. It's like, hard. I, mean, uh, I understand. I mean, it's for real. Like they, <laughs> every time I talk to Chris or Jeff or anybody involved in the movie, they, they're like, you, you just, you're, you're like, you blow so much smoke. And I'm like, I'm not kidding, man. Like, this is one of my favorite films of all time. I've seen it so many times. And I, I just, I love it. I love that it's, like, it's about the South. It's filmed in the South with Southern people. And it gets, like, you know, it gets that down-home spun southern wisdomy kind of thing it gets the like yeah we're we're all kind of stupid and it, you know but it it doesn't it's not mean it's just not mean about it you know um nice. and it, it, if it, it it's it's something i would say everybody should seek out so but it, it's not something that's easily uh available um you know, it's not like streaming anywhere or anything. So uh, I don't even know if you can buy it on YouTube at this point. Um, okay. But I know you can buy the Blu-ray. So because I have a copy. So. Put it on the site or put it on the show notes so yeah. that we can actually um, more people can like actually actually get it because that's that's great, dude. Like, I love that. I, yeah. I really do love that. Um I have seen their other short, like I have seen the other short that you've talked about, the one about winning the lottery. That's yeah. fucking, like it's the same people, right? Yeah. 
yeah, that's a great that's a great short. Uh, I am gonna have to see I am gonna have to see the film. So yeah, uh, I will be purchasing the Blu-ray, um, especially because if you've seen this ten th- if you've seen this film ten times, then I I, I have to. Yeah, it's so. I, I, almost every time Spencer and I are in a room together, at some point, I will bring this up, and he's just like shaking his head, and I'm like, I just, I love this movie, man. Like, and I just <laughs> want to talk about it. And you're like the only other person I know that's seen it. So, <laughs> <laughs> like, give that's me Flippo's the- numbers. I'll text him and be like, Hey, man. So, and then I'm like, I'll just drive him nuts. Like, so in this scene, like, here's <laughs> what I think. You know, it's 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 just you know, I I love it. I love it so much. It's so true to the South. Like, if you've ever wondered, like, what is it like living in a small Southern town? That's exactly what it's like. You know, like you know, especially when I grew up without cable and without like we didn't have the internet then, and there was no like. You you had to just go out and do stuff. So and sometimes that stuff yep. was, you know, riding around listening to the radio, just literally driving around, <laughs> like because yep. there's nothing else to do, you know. Um, but uh, anyway, yeah. Uh, long talk this week. Uh, hopefully everybody stuck with us. Um, I'll keep it short and say, just go check out everything else we're doing over at xwingfiles.com. Um, I'll let Adam plug his stuff. Movieowl.com. Uh, Written work. Logan's got his first, like, his first comeback uh, this week um, with uh, Moving Pictures. Uh, I will I will promote it on social media. And it's back. It's really back. Like, he's writing. We've got, we've got at least a month, like, a month and a half or two months worth of info like worth of things to start you guys off so it's going to be good things yeah the the goal is to ultimately get to about 50 and then i might take an even longer extended break because we want to do something uh special yeah very special um but yeah the goal is to get to 50 total pieces um and then uh We'll see what see what happens from there. So I've I've got at least what fourteen more in me. So <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. So you know, um, yeah, movieowl.com. We'll be starting that up and my my written work and stuff. So um, we will go from there. Um, we will we we. You know, We'll be back next week. I don't know what we're going to be talking about. <laughs> it's not our year <laughs> anniversary next week. It's not. Uh, um, or it might actually be our one year anniversary next week. I don't know. Um, I I don't remember the date. Sorry. I know I'm a terrible. Uh, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I don't think anything is coming out that I'm gonna go see. No, I'm I'm stuck in I'm stuck in the weeds with. I mean, I just spent yesterday like five hours playing Starfield. Um, Bethesda's new massive, <laughs> maybe, and I maybe been... we'll do video game talk next week. So, oh, dude, that would be great. I'd yeah. love to do. We haven't talked video games in a while, so no. Um, yeah, well, okay, that that'll be fun. So, uh, yes. so yeah, we will see you guys next week. Talk to you soon. Number six, Batman. Number seven, Cal. Number eight, The Simpsons. Number nine, TV. Number ten, every single band that I stole all their MP3s. But we're really all sold out. See you all together if you're with me now.